tonight we're going to party like it's 1999 in the immortal words of prince (laughs) welcome to episode 118 of gbw podcast my name is chris sitting across from me as per usual is josh Hey, you know, I I requested that on the radio back in the days when you could phone the DJ and request songs. Yeah, I remember I requested nineteen ninety. He played it. Yeah, it was awesome. I felt so special. The last time I remember actually calling a radio station and requesting a song was a day where me and my friends were sitting around playing Street Fighter Two Turbo on the Super Nintendo, and we had a college radio station on, mm. and we called them and asked them to play Good Friends and a Bottle of Pills by Pantera. And did they do it? They did. Nice. Which was a surprise, because the very first line of that song is, I fucked your girlfriend last night. <laughs> oh, college radio in and the 90s. And they played it. <laughs> so anyway. Or the 80s, or whenever you were. Yeah, it was. It would have been the 90s. Hmm. Um, so welcome to the episode. This time we're... I'm going to do a new thing that we want to make into an annual event, which is we're going to look back 20 years into the past, talk about movies that are just hitting that prime anniversary, and pick five that we think you should watch. Yeah. But first, as per usual, let us talk about what we have watched. Who would like to start? Well, I think today, today is a very special day as well. I don't know if you're aware of this, but today is the 50th anniversary of the murders of Sharon Tate, J.C. Bring, Wojciech Frykowski, and Abigail Folger. I did not know that was today. It is today. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's a very uh, important day in true crime history and American folklore. Well, I guess not even folklore. Well, I guess it is kind of folklore at this point. Well, it's... It could be considered that, considering that uh, a lot of our younger generation isn't even aware of the event. Yes, that's true. Yeah. But yeah, it's a a big day for for that. And uh, just being kind of someone who uh, knows the story quite well, uh, yeah, it's pretty hard to believe, actually, that it's been that long since that happened. So in honor of that, I think the first movie we should talk about is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Of course. (laughs) My most anticipated film of 2019. Yep. That did not in any weight, shape, or form disappoint me. No. Um, so we don't want to really talk too much about the actual plot and movie because we think that uh, you should experience this for yourself. Go into it as blind as possible. Uh, just know that it's basically has Leonardo DiCaprio playing an actor who is kind of on his way out. His stuntman buddy, played by Brad Pitt, who's also his stunt double, uh, and uh, actress Sharon Tate, played by Margot Robbie, who's kind of on her way up, and how they interact with 1969 Hollywood and various run-ins with people like the Mansons. Yes. Yeah. So that's basically all you're getting for plot from us. So let's talk about the movie. Yeah, I mean, being a huge fan of Hollywood lore, um, this yeah was perfect for me. Um, you know, I didn't. I kind of knew what to expect, but I've avoided literally everything about this movie, as you should. Um, so I, I knew Tarantino would, but you know, you just 
you never know, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much well from the opening frame. I was I was like, okay, I'm in, and um, you know, it, it recreated that time period and just all the you know major spots in Hollywood. I think a lot of stuff was filmed in in some of the major spots. They were all there, and um, for me, that was a huge treat just to see all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, 100% my favorite movie of the year. Absolutely my 100% my favorite Tarantino movie. Um, and probably my favorite movie of the last 10 years, to be frank. Right. So yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. I went and saw it opening night. I've seen it again since, and I'm probably going to go a few more times. I will say, I will agree, my 100% my movie of the year. Yeah. Just a step below Pulp Fiction for me. Yeah. In Tarantino's... Uh, Filmography. It was originally when I walked out of the theater below Reservoir Dogs as well. But then I realized that Reservoir Dogs is probably way up there because it's the first time I experienced a Tarantino movie. Yeah. And uh, since he is, for me, my, you know, the living direct, the living director that I most anticipate. Yeah. That is why. Um, but yeah, the thing that blew my mind when I was reading after I'd seen the movie, I was reading stuff about it, like, production-wise. And, you know, they could have gone and recreated that era with CG or whatever. Yeah. But Tarantino insisted on it all being done physically. So those magazines that are on the newsstand were really there. Like, he had them recreate all that stuff from that time frame so that everything was accurate. And they didn't use barely any cg as far as i could tell and that's pretty awesome in this day and age yeah that he would be that meticulous and be like i want this to be accurate yeah you know and, and that was great and uh you know i know you i know you're not you're kind of cold on leo dicaprio a little bit yeah but uh you know i thought he anchored this movie but all the leads were perfectly cast i thought i thought brad kip Brad Pitt was perfectly cast. I thought Margot Robbie was perfectly cast, to be honest with you. Yeah. And uh, if this movie gets sh- shunned at the Oscars, as- again, I'm going to be really... I'm- I'll be done with the Oscars this year. I really <laughs> will. Because if this movie does not get nominated for Best Picture, I'm going to be angry because I guarantee you Toy Story 4 and Avengers Endgame are going to be nominated for Best oh, Picture. Oh, I don't know about that, and man. And perhaps even Rocket Man will be nominated. Rocket Man, yes. But so, Avengers, I don't know. For a movie like this that deserves all that, if it doesn't get it, I might not watch the Oscars after this uh, coming Oh, in. yes, you will. I know I say that, but <laughs> I'm, ho- I'm hoping they smarten up. But it would be a total crime. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind uh, Tarantino should win for writing and directing. Yep. Um, it should absolutely win for Best Picture. Yep. Um, uh, Leo was, yeah, I, I, maybe. I'd actually... <laughs> I, I don't know about the acting awards, to be totally honest. Like, I, I thought they were great, but yeah. I don't know if it's that caliber. Well, I mean, I, Yeah, I was thinking of it. I'm like, if they were to get nominated, would they both be nominated for actor? I think Pitt would get supporting. Well, it doesn't make sense, though, because they all have their moments. They do. Like, separate from another. They so, do. Yeah. I, I mean, I could see Leo getting getting one. I don't know about Pitt. Anyway, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Anyway, let's just say this. Let's just say this. If you want to go to a movie and you have any nostalgia for Hollywood, the 60s, or any of that, if you're aware of the Manson story and you just want to see one of the best-crafted movies 
of the last 10 years, I agree with you, Yeah, where it delivers everything a movie fan could want, everything a true crime fan could want, just everything in general, this is the movie you got to go see. Yeah. And you need to see it in theaters. Yes. No question. Yeah. I mean, No question. And I actually noticed uh, quite a difference um, the first time I saw it opening night, and then I saw it again at a matinee, and I did notice... Um, quite dramatically the um, the uh audience made a difference so try and see it on a busy night if you can too yeah and and i just um you know there was just so much in this to unpack as a film fan yeah like the amount of stuff that tarantino has thrown into this movie is mind-boggling yeah that i can honestly not wait for the blu-ray in hopes that there's an extended cut so i can unpack even more stuff yeah so, because you were saying there, something about there being a four-hour cut going to Netflix. That's a, that's a rumor, but yeah. uh, that's they, they think they're going to do what they did with um, Hateful Eight, where they're putting out an extended cut on Netflix. Yeah. Don't know. That's unconfirmed. Um, and I know, um, you know, listener Michelle, I know you're listening. Um, she's gone many times. Like, she's gone like seven times that's, or something. That's crazy. And still loves it and is still finding new stuff every time. So yeah. that's pretty cool. And and I'm planning on seeing it a few more times as well. So it, it's one of those movies. And that's always kind of a benchmark for me, like for like, you know, quote unquote favorite movies and that kind of thing. Like if it's something I'm going to watch over and over, that's usually where I'm thinking right. top five, top 10, whatever. Like this is instant top 10 ever for me. Right. No question. Um, because, and because I've already watched it twice and loved it both times. And uh, I can see myself watching this into the future for sure. The thing I find odd is that Tarantino movies usually come out in December. We're in July. We're halfway through the year. Nothing is going to compare to this the rest of the year. Yeah. So it just seems kind of weird to me that it's like halfway through the year. There's so much stuff to come up. I'm like, no, nothing's going to top this. No. Nothing at all is going to top this. No. So theaters, go now. <laughs> see it. Fuck the Lion King. Go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, please. Yeah, I, I totally agree. How does the Lion King do? Did it do okay? It's freaking killing. Is it? Yeah. I don't get it. I mean, I'm glad that this one made like 40-something million opening weekend. Because yeah. his movies don't really perform as well as these blockbusters. Is it still doing well, I wonder? I think it's made about almost $80 million in two weeks. Okay. So it's doing okay. He's yeah. only had two movies in his career make over $100 million at the box office. Mm. Just Django and Inglorious Bastards. So. Mm, okay. I mean, this has made more than Hateful Eight so far. Okay. So yeah. it's a good sign that he went to a new studio. Yeah. They moved him into the summer to release his movie, and it did better than his last one. Yeah. That's always a good sign for me. And, you know, he's got one more left in him. As long as it's not Star Trek or Kill Bill 3, I'll be waiting with anticipation for that <laughs> already. Agreed. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, shit. We didn't do the, like, We did do the thing. counting? I think I've got one more than you, though, so... Okay, we'll just go. We'll figure it out. Okay. <laughs> um, I watched a movie. Okay, so I bought, I bought this thing called Wicked Carnival, thinking it was a movie about a fucking wicked carnival. And Is it an ICP movie? No. It wicked, was... wicked, wicked, wicked <laughs> clowns. <laughs> what? Insane Clown Posse, man. Aren't oh, you a juggalo? I don't know Insane Clown Posse. You're a juggalo, aren't you? <laughs> 
Josh doesn't tell you that on weekends he gets on the he gets on the paint and he goes all psychopathic records on everybody. <laughs> no, no, I do not. <laughs> um, okay, so I bought this thing called Wicked Carnival. I was it was one of these things where I was buying like some movies on a Facebook group, and um, it was one of those ones where there's just spines. Is this and- a fucking BMX movie? No, and I so okay. I was trying to put together like a package of like five movies to get a good to get a deal, right? So I saw this thing called Wicked Carnival. I'm like, oh, Wicked Carnival, some like <laughs> random fucking, you know, slasher movie I've never heard of. So I bought it, got the disc came in the mail and I'm like, oh, this is not what I thought it was at all. This is a compilation DVD of, oh. of, um, of uh, the um, Cabin of Dr. Caligari. Carnival of Souls, so like <laughs> so public domain <laughs> shit, and a little movie called Funland. Oh, Funland from 1987. Okay, so I'm like, oh, what's not the Michael A. Simpson one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so I'm like, what's Funland? And then I'm like, and then I like, so I'm like, went onto the internet and I'm like, what the fuck is Funland? And then that poster came up. Yeah, and it's one of those VHS boxes that always yep. intrigued me. It's like this roller coaster or a Ferris wheel or some shit, and then this like crazed clown like with a like a gun yeah with like a tommy gun or yeah, something. yeah yeah so yeah. i'm like oh this is i'm like oh that fucking movie awesome so i was like oh this this was a total score actually uh no it was not <laughs> <laughs> have you seen funland no <laughs> okay <laughs> so let's just say let's just let our listeners know who michael a simpson is first and foremost all right this is the guy who directed sleepaway camp 2 as well as sleepaway camp 3 as well as the Jim Varney, Tracy Lord sex comedy, Fast Food, in 1989. That's right. So this has always been a movie that I'm like, I need to see that because I like all his other three movies, <laughs> except for Sleepaway Camp 3, which I've realized I do not like. But right. that's besides the point. Okay, so this thing, based on the cover, I was like, I'm going to be all over this shit. <laughs> yeah, that cover is totally misleading. So what this actually is, is, okay, it's about this... There's an amusement park. Cool. I always like movies set in amusement parks, so that's great. And then we've got this clown named Bruce Berger, who's like a totally like ripoff of Ronald McDonald. And he's like the mascot for the, the amusement park. So then it's like, okay, so the movie starts with Bruce Berger there and they're kind of talking about him. Then it goes into like sex comedy mode. It's like all the young workers for the amusement park are like coming to get job interviews so i'm like oh okay so i guess this is like a sex comedy and it was totally playing out like a sex comedy like you know all these like young unknown people that i you know and they're making jokes and like you know getting crushes on each other and i'm like okay and jan hooks was there from saturday night live like as the receptionist and jan hooks jan hooks yeah wkrp no, is she was she on W? No, she was on Saturday Night Live. Oh no, I'm thinking of someone else, Jan Smithers. I think. Yeah, I know who you're of. thinking okay. of. Um, Jan Hooks was one of my favorite Saturday Night. Okay, Live I think people. I know who she is now. So I'm like, oh, okay, so this is a comedy, I guess, <laughs> because it was totally playing out like a summer camp movie, and I'm like, okay, great. Then, <laughs> then we find out that the mob. The, the the owner of the the amusement park dies. So the mob takes over. And I'm like, so it's so I'm like, okay, what the hell is happening? So the mob takes over and decides they're gonna fire 
Bruce Berger because they want to get this other clown who's, I think, also Bruce Berger. <laughs> that's better. So the Bruce Berger that's been... Bruce the- Berger 2.0. <laughs> it's like fucking Terminator 2. It's really weird. So the Bruce Berger that's like... T. Bruce Berger. That's like um, there. He's all bummed out and like crushed. And so then it starts turning into this drama about like how his like this guy, this poor clown's life's been taken from him. So Did then he become he, an alcoholic and stuff? No. He oh, goes okay. to stay in the closed down wax museum that's on site. <laughs> And then this, like, fucking dead ringer for Humphrey Bogart, wax figure, comes alive <laughs> and starts, like, talking to him and, like, kind of helping him with his depression. You'd be amused by the incredulous look I'm giving Josh right <laughs> There's now. There's also a Marilyn Monroe wax figure that comes alive. But this dead ringer guy, I, I gotta say, his, um, his name's Robert Sakshi in real life. And he was actually in a movie called The Man with Bogart's Face oh, about I've heard of that movie. a Humphrey Bogart lookalike. And I, I swear to God, this guy, I, it's, it's, un, it's incredible how much this guy looks like Bogey. Anyway, so this is happening and, and Bruce is like trying to figure out what's going on with him. Meanwhile, the mob is like trying to figure out how to like get ready for opening day at the amusement park. And then there's like all these like random scenes. Like there's like one scene where this um, someone's pitching that they should have a new ride. That's a, a celebrity death and disease walkthrough ride where it like goes through stuff like the you know the shooting of john lennon and elvis dying on the toilet and you walk through these different scenes and the death of natalie wood and <laughs> super weird right so it's all this like really really weird comedy going on as well and um there's also a bizarro scene where um bruce is in the cafeteria and then the guys behind the caf the three guys behind the cafeteria um decide to start rapping and then the whole cafeteria erupts into a big dance number so it's just one of these movies is just fucking all over the place, has no idea what it wants to be. And yes, the the clown does, you know, start toting a gun at the end. Um, but it's definitely not what you th- are expecting from that cover. And yeah, it was just it was I was like, fuck, is this like is this like a one out of five or but then you know, and then I'm like, actually, it's so weird. It's kind of more like a more like a three, right? <laughs> so I kind of landed on like a two, two and a half. Like it's not great, but yeah. it's it's really bizarre. So I, I I like stuff like that when I just you you, you just had no idea what was gonna come, right? Because you know there'd be a, a scene with the mob, then there'd be a scene with Bruce, like sad with the wax figures. Then there'd be a then they'd go then they'd go to the like young workers, and it would be like a sex comedy. And then the gun then the fucking um clown picked up a gun it was just it was just super weird the clown was played by david lander better known as squiggy from laverne and shirley which was also really weird casting um also had bruce mahler um playing mike he's he was like the uh the executive who took over after the original owner died and you'd know know um bruce mahler as fackler from the police academy oh yeah yeah, yeah um yeah and it was just it was it was something to see i mean 
I I it, I I'm really glad I didn't like seek out a VHS tape and pay like thirty bucks for it because I would have been super disappointed, and I also would have been really disappointed as a teen if I had picked this up from the video store. Yeah. I would have been like, "What the fuck?" But now, just with a bit more of an appreciation of like absurdity, um, I actually got kind of a kick out of it. But it was certainly bizarre. I remember seeing this video box in the horror section. It totally, it yeah. looks like a horror movie. Yeah. Wow. And it was on this weird compilation that, you know, was with two other horror movies. So it's, to- was, it's totally wow. marketed like that's, a horror movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's one I've always been curious about just because of the director. It's worth it for the bizarreness, man. Like, I, wow. I, it was it was something else. But uh, definitely not, you, you can't pigeonhole this movie at all. So I, I don't know if I, I'd give it a light recommend. If you dislike those, you know, those random kitchen sink, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing movies. Um, if you like that kind of thing, which I kind of do, um, you'll get a kick out of this for sure. But if that sounds like it's going to just frustrate the shit out of you, then avoid, avoid, avoid. There was an awful lot of those types of movies in the 80s. There were. This was this was a, certainly a gem for that kind of movie. So it's called <laughs> Funland from 1987. Fair enough. Um <laughs> Uh, I'm going to talk about the the uh, other movie I saw in theaters recently, The Theater. The Theater. And uh, that's a movie that is uh, purports to be based on a true lie, and that's writer-director Lulu Wang's dramedy, The Farewell, from 2019. Uh, so this is basically a story about a Chinese family who finds out their matriarch is dying of lung cancer, and doesn't have this long to live. And in that culture, I suppose, they're like, oh, we don't tell people when they have terminal diseases and that they're dying. We just tell them they just have a slight cold or something. So they tell they're keeping it from her, but when they realize she has only so much time left, they come up with this elaborate thing like, oh, we're getting all back in China together for this wedding celebration and just so people have a chance to say goodbye to grandma and everything like that. So it's kind of morbid in that sense. And uh, the main focus here is on a girl called Billy played by Aquafina. I hate fucking saying that name. She's an Asian rapper who last year had big success in 28 in crazy rich Asians. And she was fucking bad in crazy rich Asians. That being said, she's actually pretty good in this. I'm going to give her that. But for fuck's sake, if you're a rapper and you want to move into making films, use your real name, please. <laughs> I know I'd be like, ooh, Aquafina was so good in The Farewell. No. That's like me going like, oh, 50 Cent and lit, Get Rich or Die Trying. Fucking stellar. You know, <laughs> the only guy who can get away with that is Ice-T. Let's be honest. And that's because I'm afraid of Ice-T. <laughs> so that's why he can get away with it. All right. But anyway, um, so... This is like a uh, just like a kind of an indie comedy drama uh, put out by I think Fox Searchlight. So it's one of those ones that gets limited release and comes out. Um, everyone's went crazy last year over Crazy Rich Asians because it's like, oh look, a movie that came out with a full Asian cast and it was a big success. This is a much better movie than Crazy Rich Asians. If you have any interest in that movie, you probably yeah. don't if you're listening to us. But I'm just <laughs> saying. Um, but uh, you know. It, it, it's got a lot of comedy in it. It's um, the supporting cast is really good. Uh, Shuzen Zhu, who plays the grandma, it's her first movie she's ever been in. I think she probably deserves to get nominated for supporting actress in this. Okay, because she's very engaging and very like it's how you would picture a Chinese grandma to be. Just very cute 
and very like crazy at the same time and just like you know that kind of a person right like you know that's how i picture asian grandmas to be i guess that's just from watching movies and tv shows but still (laughs) um you know and uh you know and then you got some recognizable actresses you got i'm gonna fucking butcher this name it's chizzy ma ma he's a character actor josh you would know him from being in skyscraper I haven't uh, seen Skyscraper. Okay, well, RoboCop <laughs> 2. Okay. And he was also in about 15 episodes of the show 24. Okay. So he's a very busy yeah. character actor. And he's really solid in this as her, as Billy's like alcoholic, sort of alcoholic dad who can't deal with his mom passing away and stuff like that. But yeah, the, all around, I just found this to be a really solid film. It didn't like, it's not like, oh, Oscar worthy or anything. But when I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, I'm enjoying the performances. Some of the comedy works for me. And it's just like one of those like slice of life family dramas where you can watch and be like, yeah, I like this. And adding the extra culture on there, like they really do this shit in China. They lie to people when they're going to fucking die in two weeks from a terminal disease. (laughs) Apparently it's true because the writer director did this. To her own grandma, her family did this. Oh, weird. So that's how it's based on a true lie. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty good feel-good. It's being called a feel-good type of movie. It's kind of hard for me to call a movie about terminal lung cancer a feel-good type movie. But it's a solid drama. And if you're into that kind of stuff, yeah, sure. Check it out for sure. The Farewell. All right. Okay. <laughs> Follow that up. Okay. <laughs> Let's get some Just Franco here. <laughs> no, I'm good. Well, I am going to follow it up with some, some Umberto Lenzi, though. Okay, good enough. <laughs> uh, so Chris was kind enough to buy me a Blu-ray for my birthday, um, which I uh, got a little late, but I uh, watched it um, because Chris was away. and But I got it last time we saw each other, and I decided to give it a, sh- a shot because it's one that I'd uh, heard about and I've just never, never seen. It's a movie called Almost Human from uh, t- 1974. Yep. Um, AKA The Executioner. So, you know, as the credits started rolling, I'm like, okay, you know, great cast. We've got... Um, uh, Thomas Millian, uh, Henry Silva, uh, Ray Lovelock from uh, Let's Sleep or um, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. The music score is done by Ennio Morricone, so I'm like, okay, this is going to be pretty good. But I didn't really know what to expect, other than that this was a Poliziotti movie, which is uh, of course the uh, Italian crime thriller, which of course everyone knows that I love crime thrillers. Um, but I didn't really know what to expect, so it opens up with this car chase. Bank robbery, car chase, very, very similar to the violent professionals. In fact, so similar. I think the same car chase was used in both movies, or at least parts of it. Def- definitely parts of it. Um, there was this one stunt going through some flaming like garbage that was the exact same thing. And I haven't, unfortunately, I wasn't able to figure out which one, which one, who, which director actually shot it. Um, but it was pretty funny seeing. I'm like, oh, this car chase is pretty good. And I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> didn't I just fucking see that? And it's yeah, like, sure uh, enough, it's like trauma <laughs> recycling. The car flip from Tromeo and Juliet exactly. over and over again. Exactly, but I uh, yeah I didn't I didn't check which one was made first, but uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Okay, so we've got this bank robbery that happens and the car chase, um, and you know it sets the tone really really early that um, you know Thomas Millian's a really bad guy. 
Um, he also is kind of a weasel, so he gets in trouble with like the 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 people he works for. Um, part of the bank robbery is kidnapping a kid who like doesn't make it. <laughs> so it's one of those movies where you're like, okay, so this is going to be pretty badass and and not super politically correct. Um, so Millian, um, you know, as uh, as the movie gets rolling, we realize yes, he is a total weasel. That's that's you know just kind of you know he's got a girlfriend um, uh, that's um, um, sorry. Um, he's got a girlfriend that uh, played by Anita, Anita Strindberg and he's just totally using her and just having sex with her and treating her like shit. And you're like, why the fuck is this chick with this guy? He's, you know, he's, he's just kind of a real weasel. That's just like, you know, stealing money, doing petty crime. Um, but then he gets this idea that he's going to kidnap this really rich daughter, daughter of this, like, you know, businessman dude. So he recruits um, Ray Lovelock and uh, Gino Santercoli, um, and they go and kidnap this woman and take her hostage. And then they also go on a bit of a crime spree. And like, there's a scene in this um, where they like go to this. They kind of do a home invasion with their hostage on this uh, country house, and um, and it's and then it starts getting into like uh, house at the edge of the park territory. It's a pretty brief scene, but it gets real sleazy real quick. Huh. And um, so I'm like, but I was really enjoying it because Fab. Um, sorry, Thomas Millian is, is um, one of the great actors of the genre, and he's been. Lots of spaghetti westerns, lots of movies like this, but I haven't. I'm not super familiar with his work, but I, I thought he was dynamite. Henry Silva's playing the cop that's trying to track them down. Again, Henry Silva's usually the fucking crazy lunatic, yeah. but he's playing a cop in this, which I thought was really interesting, as he was totally against type, but he was um, really dedicated and really intense, which was which was really great. And, um, yeah, it's just about how this kidnapping pans out and, and kind of the plan for how they're going to get the ransom and just Millian just going, you know, ramping more and more and more as the movie goes on and, and just uh, uh, until he's completely fucking unhinged. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a really good one. But it's, uh, um, you know, it's pretty heavy. Like, it's got, like, that, that scene in the house is pretty intense. And, uh, um you know it's it's not uh not for the faint of heart i mean it's not crazy gory or anything but it's it's still uh probably gonna offend some people but probably um dare i say it this is probably one of my favorites of this subgenre um i think you know i i really love lucio fulci's a smuggler um aka contraband that's one of my that's one of my favorites this is right up there with that one it's it was definitely a huge step above stuff like violent professionals and i've seen a number of these movies i'm I'm still trying to see a lot of the big ones but this was a definitely a, a way up there for me uh, very quickly like instantly i was just i was so engaged through this whole thing so thank you very much for buying wow. that i'm glad i made a good choice yeah and it's uh put out by code red um over here i think it's been put out actually i can't remember who's it's i know it's been put out elsewhere Maybe 88 as well. they've got a lot of those kind of things no i don't think it was 88 i think it was that uh, I don't even want to hazard a guess. I think it was that company that, like, they did, like, the perfume of the lady in black. Their Raro video, maybe? Anyway, I know it's been yeah, put maybe, out in maybe. Europe as well. But um, Laura Belly plays the, um, uh, the, the hostage. Uh, there's a couple of women from Women in Cell Block 7 in this. And um, the writer was Ernesto, Ernesto Gastaldi, who's done a whole ton of giallo and... Uh, 
and genre films and um yeah definitely check it out if you if you're uh, a fan of the stuff um crime thrillers because this one was uh yeah really really paced well and and really engaging so thanks again well i'm very happy that i picked correctly yeah it was a good one <laughs> um i'm i'm always been curious about this type of movie too because i'm like you know i'm way more familiar with spaghetti western yeah than i am and even italian horror yeah more so than this stuff yeah and you know the ones I have seen, I've enjoyed. Yeah. So I'm always kind of like, oh, I, I got to find some that are going to turn me on to this. Like, you know, I like I like the cynic, the rat in the fist. Yeah. I like Rome arm to the teeth, you know, and things like yeah. that. But I'm just like, I don't know where to start. I mean, I know you've talked about contraband a lot. You're yeah. like, oh, contraband's really good. You should check that out. Maybe I'll have to check this one out, too. What else do you think for people who want to start out like me? Is there any other ones? I haven't seen a ton of these. I mean, the ones I would, yeah, the ones I would probably, Contraband for sure. This one for sure. This one's marketed a little bit more like a horror movie. Yeah. And it is, it's not, but I mean, it's uh, it's a little sleazier though. Like it's a little more, uh, yeah, it's just more of a hostage and a really fucking bad dude as opposed to cops and robbers. Although that's in this. Yeah. Um, contraband and I'd say probably Violent Naples. Oh, okay. Probably be my, my first two. But I, I also have not seen a lot because they're all uh, they're they're starting to come out now. Like t- um, Rome Arm to the Teeth, aka the Tough Ones, just came out from uh, Grindhouse. Oh, okay, recently, like that, like in the last few months, and before that, it's I don't I can't remember how you it's, saw it. It's just been on like those cheapy three movie. Right. collections and stuff yeah but it's been hard to get a good version of that yeah. and then cynic the rat in the fist is out from 88 films 88 films has put out a bunch yeah but this one um it was this one was kind of like that one i reviewed um a few weeks ago the one with um oh shit the guy from uh faceless okay i can't remember the german fucking i can't actor. remember what it was oh called either um, yeah, I can't either. <laughs> but like, it, this was kind of like that, but just way, way, way better, right? Like, just this was like the professional version of that one. And whereas in that one, you know, the actor was tr- trying to be was pretty sleazy, but uh, this one, it just there was just a, a big, I just a noticeable difference okay. in the quality. I know, I I didn't I didn't know Grindhouse put out the uh, Rome arm to the teeth because Helmet uh, burger. Thank God. <laughs> You you really haven't lived until you've seen a, a fucking hunchback with a machine gun. Yeah, and well, and the other one's the sequel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much of a sequel it is, but I know Cynic the Rat in the Fist is a sequel. Yeah. and I have a set from Blue Underground that's like a one of their midnight movies lines where it's three of their releases bundled together and i think it's got like the heroin busters in it or something yeah, like well, that's that franco and, nero and that's got the big racket yeah, i think yeah and, and the uh, big racket. Yeah. it's got all that stuff on it so yeah i should check that out maybe too yeah i mean there's so many but i just don't know which yeah. are the best ones well maybe we should ask vince next time he's around i don't know if vince knows either huh. vince knows his giallo really well okay well better than both of us but uh I don't know how much he... I, I know he has some of this stuff. It's a, it's a good thing to look into. Yeah. Okay, so that was Almost Human. Yeah. How's that Code Red Blue look good? They always look good. I love right. Code Red. All right, good, good. I hope they keep going. I hope so. Uh, let's. I might as well do my uh, one of my crime movies then to follow up your crime movie. I watched a movie from 2013 called The Art of the Steel. 
And uh, written and directed by Jonathan Sobel. This is a Canadian shot film, shot mostly in uh, Ontario and and Quebec City. Uh Uh, It's a heist caper with a more sarcastic tone and comedic moments than a focus on actual heists with mob man Kurt Russell playing failed stunt driver Crunch Calhoun who ends up getting pulled back into uh, a, a plan, a scheme. Uh, let's rob some artwork and make a lot of money by making duplicates and selling them for a million each. That has been, uh, you know, kind of put together by his brother, played by Matt Dillon, who he's been estranged from for a few years because his brother pretty much sent him to jail on their last job together. So Crunch has got together the old gang, which includes, uh, you know... Uh, you know, you've got like, um, what the fuck's that actor's name? Jay Baruchel from Goon and oh. and movies like that, as long as a sidekick. Uh. You've got, uh, you know, the rest of his gang along, he, uh, as well as the uh, Catherine Winnick from the TV show Vikings as the sole female member of his team, who's also his girlfriend, who may or may not have ulterior motives. And uh, yeah, it's just like they want to go out and do this last heist and they're setting it up and they're getting it ready and they're, you know, arguing with each other in that kind of Tarantino-esque manner, you know, like they did in Reservoir Dogs. And uh, meanwhile, they're being pursued by an Interpol agent played by Jason Jones, who's this very busy character actor who's been in a lot of comedies. And you can tell because he's very, you know, his line delivery here is very kind of comedic in a way. And uh, the Interpol agent has an informant who's an ex-professional thief played by Terrence Stamp. Okay. So this movie has a really good cast behind yeah. it. You know, you got Kurt Russell, Terrence Stamp, you know, uh, Matt Dillon, yeah. guys like that. So it's a good cast. And, you know, I would have liked it to be more of a serious kind of heist movies because I love heist movies. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, it's too bad this isn't more serious. But, you know, the plot moves along pretty good. It goes in certain areas that that are kind of unexpected at times. And there's a lot of like kind of witty dialogue here. And, and the heist scenes are fairly well done for what they are. Like there's a scene where Crunch is kind of like trying to get away on a motorbike with stolen goods. That's kind of cool. And, you know, just like that whole thing they do in heist movies where it's like the timing, you know, how they have the scenes like, oh my God, we got to get out of there in this many seconds or this is going to happen. Yeah. They have scenes like that and they work okay too. So, I mean, it's it's a pretty watchable time and it delivered the entertainment I wanted from it, but it's not like one of those ultimate heist movies that you're going to go watch again and again and again. I bought this for a buck. <laughs> I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> and plus it's got my man Kurt in it. You yeah. don't need anything else. That's right. You really don't. So, Art of the Steel. Recommended if you kind of like comedic robbery movies i guess would be the way to point it let's wow. say if you like oceans 12 you should probably watch this instead let's put it that yeah. way yeah okay let's leave it at I that i was like oceans 12 god or oceans 11 i'd never even heard about this one that's weird yeah it's a pretty good cast and i think it just kind of it's it was a weinstein company released in the states apparently but it just kind of just trickled out on dvd with no fanfare yeah. So uh, totally worth seeing at least once. All right. So, yeah. All right. Well, I decided to sleaze it up some more. Jesus. As I do. 
Yes, you do. And I decided to dip into the world of naked man serial killers, and I watched 10 to Midnight. Naked man serial killers. <laughs> So, very very specific subgenre. Ten to midnight. If I have the Scream Factory, have of this, you seen Ten to Midnight? I haven't seen it. I have a vivid memory of uh, I was with my friend Jason and his dad, and we were staying in like a motorhome or some shit at some weird campsite, like, and. We had this, this was playing on the TV in the motorhome. And I remember being like, what the fuck? Like, like, cause there's so much nudity in this. I was, as then I was like, what, like 12 when I saw this. Yeah. And it just was like, what? And it's just one of those ones that always scarred me and, uh, hadn't seen it since. Um, but yeah, Scream Factory put this out recently, um, before that Twilight Time did. And all you need to know is Canon Films. Yeah, <laughs> this this out oh, canon's canon. <laughs> so directed again uh, by J. Lee Thompson, who uh, who uh, paired up with Bronson, I think four times. Yeah. Um, and J. Lee Thompson, of course, has done the guns of everything from the guns of Navarone to Happy Birthday to Me to the racist King Solomon's Mind remake with uh, Richard <laughs> Chamberlain and Sharon Stone. So this guy's. This guy's kind of like the fun land of directors. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we open with this um, this dude um, played by Gene Davis, um, who's like flicking around a butterfly knife. And I'm like, okay, we're in the fucking 80s here. Because you don't see butterfly knives. You just don't see butterfly Didn't knives. did everybody have butterfly knives in the 80s? <laughs> they really did. And yeah, you just don't see them anymore. No. They just, you know, it's they like, need to have a comeback. Yeah, there's so many. <laughs> let's not actually now's not the time. Oh to wait, be talking never about. mind. Now's not the time. <laughs> You're right. It's not. I apologize. That was insensitive of me. All right. So he like. Well, at least the at least the switchblade combs can make a comeback. I had one of those. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah, cool. Why not? They can make a comeback. How about that? They do. I wouldn't. I probably still have that. I don't throw anything a switchblade away. Switchblade comb where you're like, I'm so cool. Yeah. It's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got butterfly knife going on. We got really hot girl in a tight t-shirt going to the movies, going to see Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which I'm actually going to see this weekend. And um, she's going with her friend, and then this creepy dude played by Gene Davis comes up and starts chatting them up at the movies. Once the movie starts, though, he decides he goes to the bathroom and then sneaks out of the bathroom and then goes to hunt down this woman that rejected him at work and um, goes uh, like somehow makes it from the movie theater to the lake where he, the, this woman's like making out with her boyfriend. Um, Gene Davis. So his his thing his he strips off all his clothes before he kills anyone. And, you know, it's actually pretty smart. If you were a killer, like, it's a pretty good way to, like, not have any evidence because the blood can't splatter on anything except for your wiener or whatever, right? <laughs> so he strips off all his clothes. I don't think he's stripping his clothes off so there's no evidence, Josh. That's why he, that's the whole thing. Are that's you sure? the whole thing with Is this she movie. she just didn't have a weird fetish? No. He, Maybe he likes blood on his he wiener. He couldn't get it up because that's, you know, oh. Charles Bronson explained everything oh, in the okay. movie. Okay, couldn't sorry. get it up, which is why he has to stab because oh. that's his... Oh, I think so. They're they're equating penetration, like Bronson stabbing. This is definitely a canon film. Bronson has a line, and I it's it's not. I don't know if it's this line, but it's very close. I just can't remember what the noun is. 
but Bronson's like his knife is like his cock, <laughs> but it's like his knife is like his dick or something like it's something like that. So Bronson explains all that because this guy is impotent or whatever. Oh, okay, but he strips because he doesn't want to get um, busted. So that's why he takes all his clothes off. So he takes all his clothes off. So this would be like the reverse. This would be strip nude for your victim. <laughs> you could say that. Yes. So he attacks this um, this van, kills the guy, stabs the guy, and then the girl, also naked, goes tearing off through the forest. Oh. And then naked Jean Davis fucking is tearing after. Does she so, trip? Tell me she trips. I don't remember if she oh. trips. But... um. And then, you know, stab, stab, stab. Um, but yeah, I was like, holy Christ, like so much nudity and like, you know, full frontal from the girl, full frontal from the guy. <laughs> like, and it was like a five minute scene and I'm like, okay, I'm totally in. <laughs> so then he goes back to the Butch and Sundance and uh, managed he, so he's managed to like go out, get to the lake, take off his clothes, murder these two people, wash off, put back on his clothes, get back to the end all before it. Now, I don't know which Sundance is a, a long movie, but I don't think it's that long. No. I think it's around two hours. Yeah. So I guess it could have happened. It anyway. would ha- be more plausible if you went to see Avengers Endgame. <laughs> yeah, or the once new, upon a the, time in the, Hollywood, the re-release cut that's like three hours twenty minutes or whatever. It oh, is. is it? I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but even still, like I just feel like getting all the way to a lake well, and know. finding them and then killing them. Anyway, just whatever. It's a fucking canon film. <laughs> okay, so this is the but it does it does set the tone very quickly for what we're in for. And then we've got Bronson talking about the knife being the cock and all that. Um, Andrew Stevens is. Charles Bronson's partner. Nice. So this is like post the seduction pre night eyes. So Andrew Stevens hadn't hadn't fully gone into like yeah. direct video erotic thrillers yet, but um, and I actually thought he did a quite quite a good job. He was like still like I think trying to make it as a serious actor, and you know I I think Andrew Stevens has always had I well, I think I thought he's always had screen presence. I've never thought the guy was a terrible actor. He always gets the job done as he does in this. I thought he was pretty good. So he went from this to the terror within for Roger Corman to Night Eyes. Maybe to Night yeah. Eyes. And if I was Andrew Stevens at that age and I had the opportunity to be in those Night Eyes movies with uh, Tanya Roberts and Shannon Tweed, I would certainly have done the same thing. <laughs> his, mom, okay. his mom's probably like, go to those movies. <laughs> if you know Stella Stevens' career, you know she'd probably egged him on to be at Night Eyes. I told you about Stella Stevens and how she used to phone me. Yeah. And like... I was like so excited. I'm like, oh, it's Stella Stevens phoning me. Like I used to work for this film payroll company and she used to phone and like want her check or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, this is so cool. I'd be like, oh, you were great in the Poseidon Adventure. And then she kept phoning and I was like, fuck, it's Stella Stevens. Voicemail. (laughs) Yeah, eventually like, God damn it. Why can't Andrew give you some money? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, I I know I told that story several other times. Okay, we've also got Lisa Eilbacher. Do you know her? Yeah. Um, She was in a movie called Opposing Force, which I... Which I really like. I think that's who she is. She was the female lead in Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, okay. And in Officer and a Gentleman, not Deborah Winger, but the other one. I think she might have been an opposing force, unless I'm getting my actresses mixed okay. up. It's a 1986 movie with her and uh, I think Tom Skerritt. Okay. She yeah. she she you know she had a, some she had some pretty big roles back in this time period, and then her career just sort of fizzled away. I'm not sure what happened there, but. Uh, uh, I, 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 I've liked her and everything I've seen her in. So she played Bronson's daughter 
who um, became, you know, one of Gene Davis's target because Gene Davis and Charles Bronson's, you know, get into it pretty quick um, where Bronson knows he's the killer and it's basically about Bronson trying to bring him down while Gene Davis is still trying to like murder while also get away from Bronson and then eventually Bronson pisses him off so much that he's going to have to you know try and get his revenge on Bronson or whatever uh, not going to get too too much more into the plot. Yeah, don't because I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> um, also popping up is Robert Lyons, um, character actor who I always like to see. He best known as uh, Skipper Todd in the Todd Killings. Great movie if you haven't seen it. Uh, he plays the DA. Jeffrey Lewis, you know, frequent uh, co-star with Clint Eastwood, plays the defense, a uh, really kind of sleazy defense attorney. Wilford Brimley is the police captain, yeah. and. Um, and um, the diabetes and he, uh, Lisa, Lisa um, uh, Eilbecker's um, a nurse and she lives in a dorm room and um, two of her dorm mates are um, Kelly Preston and Ola Ray. And if huh. Ola Ray was the uh, girl from Michael Jackson's thriller huh. who has a shower scene in this. Huh. So but yeah, this movie is uh, probably the sleaziest of the Bronson movies like. I know a few of them. Even were... sleazier than Kinjite? I don't. I I don't know if I've seen Kinjite. Huh, okay, but uh, that's pretty fucking sleazy. But this one, yeah, made a huge impression when I was a kid, and uh, definitely I was excited when Scream Factory put this out, and uh, yeah, it, it did not disappoint. This was <laughs> this was pretty uh, pretty entertaining, but uh, just pretty 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 bananas too. Like just seeing this this guy running around naked, like like a lot in this movie like there's long scenes of him with no clothes on and and it's like got really like it's got the it's got kind of almost like the austin powers camera placement where like he'll be walking and he'll like stop like right where there's a pole or <laughs> just so you don't really see anything but uh yeah it's uh but it's it's pretty crazy how much how much nudity and how naked this guy is now his uh wiener's not flopping around everywhere it's you like you don't really see like it flops a little bit but you don't re- like you're not seeing like ex- why are you analyzing wiener flopping well i just want i don't want people to be like oh, i don't want to be looking at a wiener the whole time because it's not it's not there the whole time it'd but, be like, really impressive there. if he's just helicopters that he's going towards no it's not helicoptering <laughs> there's no helicoptering Dad. but it's it's uh it, there's a there's a lot so, anyway i'd recommend checking it out if you're a fan of like sleazy 80s stuff like vice squad or oh, uh, yeah I yeah definitely like am. that that kind of stuff that you'll oh, you'll like this all right yeah maybe i'll give it a spin soon then because if you said vice squad and i'm instantly in yeah it's 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 got that kind of all aesthetic right. To all, it. Right. all right good 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 to know, not, good to know. What, actually not this guy's no ramrod but uh okay. well who, yeah vice squad's kind of on a who really different is, who level. really is ramrod <laughs> let's put it that way yeah so anyway, all right. But apparently, eight. according to Charles Bronson, he is using uh, the knife as his ramrod in this movie because he can't get it. Off. Oh, God, it was so weird seeing Bronson like just say a line. Like it was. He's impotent, so he's stabbing people. <laughs> yeah, it's like his dick. <laughs> like, what? His knife. It's like his dick. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty weird. Ten to midnight, everyone. Yeah. Um, so next up for me is a movie from 2019 called Arctic. And uh, the reason I watch this is because I am very big on survival kind of movies. Oh, I thought you were going to say you were mad about Mads. Mads about Mads Mickelson. 
Um, so he stars in this, uh, mostly known on these shores, I guess, as being uh, playing Hannibal Lecter in the TV series that was recently on. Um, he the movie opens with him just being like digging in the digging in thick snow, and then the camera zooms out and it shows that he's been burrowing the words SOS into the into the snow. And uh, it turns out he was a pilot whose plane crashed in the middle of the Arctic. Uh, he's the only one who survived on the crew. And it kind of goes through his daily routine because he's like very uniform and very stopwatchy where he's like, okay, I can be out in the elements for this long doing this and then I have to go back or else I'm risking frostbite or something like that, right? So, you know, he'll go out, he'll check his fishing areas, he'll get all the fish packed in his cooler that he's buried in the snow and then he'll go to sleep in the in the plane and try and keep bundled up and everything and you know and every once in a while he'll go out work on his sos sign try and get a radio signal to try and get rescued and things like that so then about uh, probably about a third of the way through the movie he spots a helicopter in the distance and you know unfortunately this helicopter is during a storm and unfortunate for us as a as an audience because it's very convenient that the helicopter's in the storm the helicopter crashes. So, you know, oh, fuck, there goes my survival. And, uh, you know, he goes to the ruins and uh, finds one survivor, a female survivor, who he kind of has to, like, protect from the elements and kind of nurse back to health. And then he decides to set out with her north to try and, you know, get them rescued because she's going to die because she's so injured. And uh, from there, it's just like, will they make it? What elements are going to be thrown at them? Will they survive this? Will they survive that? So on and so forth. So, in other words, Arctic is not a very upbeat kind of movie. Yeah. Because, you know, everyone in this movie can die at the drop of a hat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, directed by Joe Penna. I believe this is his debut feature. Um, Very well shot considering that it's mostly just, you know, landscapes of snow hills. And things like that. And, you know, a very solid performance from Mads in the lead. Um, I haven't really seen him in a lot of stuff, but, you know, he's showing up in a lot. Uh, he's showing up all the time, like Hannibal. He was in that Polar movie that was a Netflix original right. earlier this year. And, you know, he's just um, very solid in this. Like, And the thing about this movie is also with with survival movies, like anything like Survive, which is out on Blu-ray, that Rene Cardona Oh yeah, I have that directed yeah. one. Um, not realistic, <laughs> and that's the thing that Arctic has going for it. Apart from that helicopter crash, which I kind of had to dis- suspend my belief a bit, it's very realistic in the way he goes about trying to survive, and I like that because I'm just like I'd like to put myself in that situation. And then when I put myself in that situation, I'm like, you'd be fucking dead in like an hour, dude. Yeah. Like, you'd be like, oh, there's no TV for me to watch Blu-rays on. I'm fucking dead. It's oh, done. I'd be dead. Yeah. I'd be like, I can't do this. Yeah. I have no survival skills, but I'll watch the shit out of people in movies with survival <laughs> skills. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a pretty solid film. I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like top tier of this year, but it uh, delivered what I wanted from it. So kind of like, you know, Art of the Steel and The Farewell seems to be a trend this episode that stuff is just delivering what I want from it without really exceeding it. Yeah. And that's what the Arctic does, too. So, yeah, pretty solid. Pretty solid. All right. Any interest? Oh, uh, yeah, that sounds interesting. I think I remember I saw the trailer and I was like, yeah, I'll go. 
I'll go watch that survival movie. Where did you watch it? I got the DVD from the library. Ah, that's so my go-to for new releases a lot of times. Yeah, but I actually, I think my favorite survival movie that's like a mainstream one is still probably Alive. To be honest, yeah, Alive is a good one. Yeah, because Alive is a really good movie that I want to revisit someday soon too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Arctic. If you're into survival, check it out. Nice. Yeah. How many more do you have? I have three more. Three more. Shit. Okay. What do you have? Four? I have four more. Okay, so double up on one. Do I double up? Yeah. I think so. Oh, no. What? Just talk about a movie. I'll okay, figure I'll, it out. I'll do something <laughs> now. Okay, I'm actually going to talk about a TV show. Um, um, I know we don't do a lot of this, but um, I do want to talk about this one because I finally finished Gotham. And uh, the reason I wanted to talk about Gotham for a minute is just because... I think this show is so fucking underrated. It's it's like criminal. Um, you know, I've I've I know there's people that have like um, that started trying to watch the first season and maybe got a bit turned off. I'm not really sure why. That would be me. Why? Why? I didn't find it too engaging the first three or four episodes. So like I you gave the... up after four episodes. Yeah, it was about four episodes. I like the guy who I like the penguin. Yeah. But I didn't like Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah. And I didn't really care for the girl playing Selena Kyle that much. Really? Yeah. Huh. So I don't know. I, I think it's because I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like more used to the Nolan Burton kind of Batman stuff. Well, I, okay. So first of all, I, I pretty much always give stuff a season. Yeah. Like an entire season because I, I find it really hard for shows to get their groove in the first few episodes. I think and I also sometimes... might have given up because I had a lot of other shows I was watching, yeah. to be honest. But I have heard this a few times where people have given up in season one of this show. Yeah. And for me, I, I thought season one was pretty entertaining, but this is a show that absolutely got way better every season. And like by the time it was in season four, there's only five seasons of it. But the time that time where they were in season four, I was so fucking into this. And I thought as I was watching season four and five, I was like, this is like, first of all, this is like nothing else on TV. Like there's nothing else like this show. The look of it, um, this the stuff that happens. It's so dark and disturbing and fucked up. And um, the acting is so good um i i just i'm just astounded that this no one i know watches this um i've brought it up to like lots of people people are are quite unwilling to even give it a chance and i really don't understand because i thought it um it just kind of nails like and i don't know i'm not a comic guy so i don't know or really care about what happened in the comics because to me this is just a different story right well, there's uh, so many alternate takes in there comics is, anyway yeah. so it doesn't matter so i was just going with the characters i mean i know them i know the characters from the you know the tim burton movies and the and the nolan movies and um that's pretty much and you know in the fucking adam west tv show but i mean that's pretty much all i know of this I, but i don't know like where selena kyle came from like i don't really care like i i just kind of was wanting to see what this thing said that happened right and i really really enjoyed it i uh aaron richards playing barbara keen total standout and like um she has um not really done much else and i i don't understand because she just stole the show every time she was on screen 
um, Robin Lord Taylor as Penguin, another one. Just the guy was so dynamic and dynamite, as was Corey Michael Smith as uh, Enigma, a.k.a. the Riddler. Um, and, and none of these people seem to be even working. And uh, I know the show just wrapped, but, I mean, usually you see these people popping up and stuff. And I think... Um, uh, Robin Lord Taylor was in he was in John Wick 3 as in like this tiny bit part and it it just blows my mind anyway I just wanted to talk about it because um it's just was really really good and it it just kept getting better like and by the end of season five I was really wanting more but at the same time I really really respect a show when they kind of go out on on top unlike like the walking dead like this show kind of knew where it was going i think quite early and well we all kind of knew that it only had a limited time because it's the origin story of batman they could not use batman or the riddler (laughs) so you know they they had to wrap it up and you're seeing this kid uh david masu's um you know he started out young but i mean by the time the show ended he was an older teenager where could you you couldn't really keep going like it had to end and it and it was a great time to end and and i just the way it ended i just thought it was beautiful but i just really really uh recommend if you're a fan of like dark dark material and cool acting and interesting characters and and really kind of gothic type type set design and uh superheroes but not like marvel stuff like this this is a lot more like the um the net marvel netflix shows but even darker um then i'd, I'd encourage you to take another look because this this show is fucking stellar and ben mckenzie as the lead i mean not an actor i really like that much but um in this he's awesome as is donnell Logue and sean pertwee's in this as well of course is in like dog soldiers and doomsday and this great great actor uh british actor um but i'd absolutely recommend um people give it another another chance it's over now and uh um and it it fucking killed it and um got better with each time so if you gave up in season one i'd encourage you to go back and take another look i just i normally don't talk about tv but that's also because i normally don't get through an entire series i i feel weird like talking about tv shows when i'm like oh you know i just watched season three of you know prison break like after i'm done prison break i'll talk about it but i find it weird to like be talking about like stuff that's happening in the middle of a series so i just wanted to talk about gotham overall because it just was so good yeah it's a show that i kind of was thinking about going back to but the problem is there's just so much out there now that i want to see like there's stuff on like netflix shows that i haven't even started i haven't watched started like sabrina on there i haven't watched mind hunter i haven't watched ozark there's so many so much we get we're just getting pummeled with so much TV There's so much that man. it's hard to go back. And I mean, I'm in the middle of stuff right now. I'm in the middle of shows right now and I want to finish those. And then I have TV show DVDs I've bought that I want to start and watch those. And I'm just getting so stressed out because it's such a commitment. So that's why I never went back to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I treat shows a little differently than the main, like the majority of people. Cause I pretty much will pick, like one yeah. and kind of go with it. Well, I'm only got like two or three on the go right now. Yeah, and even that's yeah. stressing me out. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm, you know, I, I do have regrets about starting Mad Men. I mean, it's great and all, but, um, I, I, you know, that's one where I've, I've watched a couple seasons and I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, there's all this other stuff out there. Yeah. Do I really want to spend another 
five seasons with these people. Yeah. I don't know. Like there's other people. I like like, but I but I Gotham is is a quick enough. It's a hundred episodes. Like it's a lot of episodes, but it's 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 really worth it. Yeah, Fair really enough. worth a look. Uh, before we leave TV, I would just like to say that I'm super excited for the new season of American Horror Story this year because it's a slasher movie theme set in 1984 to summer camp. Right. Yeah. So I cannot wait. Yeah, I've never seen that show. And either. they used <laughs> and they used the Jason Sting in one of the teasers recently. Oh no way! Oh, cool. So I can't wait. Moving on. Did you figure out the order? Yes, I got it. Okay. We just keep going, alternate. Okay. Um, so let's keep it going, slasher movies, and but not really slasher movies, because let's talk about a sequel and a disappointing sequel from this year called Happy Death Day to You. Oh. Let's talk about a sequel that if you hadn't seen the first movie, you definitely didn't have to fucking see the first movie after watching the trailer for the second one, mm-hmm. because everything about the first movie is spoiled in the trailer, even. So... If you haven't seen the first one, I encourage you to not listen to this as well. Yeah. You know, because I am going to talk about the first one, obviously. So, um, you know, Christopher Landon is back as writer-director here. Jessica Roth back as Tree from the original movie. And in the original movie, she was kind of thrown into this Groundhog Day kind of deal where, you know, she kept getting killed on her birthday and then she would wake up in a time loop and then have to figure out who killed her, basically. This movie kind of keeps that concept in a way, because, but in this time, it's another person is stuck in this time loop. And the reason they're stuck in this time loop is because they've created this thing on the university campus, this weird device that screws with timelines and sends everyone back in time. Tree finds this out and is like, oh, you fucking idiots, look what you did. Now I got to help you to get out of this time loop. Now, I'm like, okay. Fair enough. You found a way to kind of keep the story going on the same university campus with the same character. Fair enough. However, you've decided to make this not a horror movie this time and not a slasher movie this time. You've decided to make it as kind of alternate reality sci-fi movie where you're like, ooh, how can we fix this device so that we can save being stuck in this time loop? The baby mask killer from the first movie has five minutes of screen time in this entire fucking movie Mm. and doesn't kill anyone that I can remember. They put the killer on the box art of this movie and he's not in the fucking thing very much. So that's pissing me off, for starters. Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) Secondly, what pisses me off, for starters, is... The Jessica Roth character, like I said about the first one, in which you agreed with me on, she's, you don't like her at first, but over time, she grows on you, and you really like her, and her performance in that movie was... was it was really good, yeah. Really good. This movie, nothing. Fucking boring. Really? Like, the character is not quite the same. She doesn't have her bitchy moments in this as much or anything. You know, there's this cool, funny loop where they're like, she gets... She keeps going into the time loop to try and figure out how to come up with an equation to stop this machine from doing it. And to end the time loop, she has to find, you know, creative ways to kill herself. So instead of in the first movie where she gets killed by the slasher, in this movie, it's she's killing herself Hmm. to get back to the loop. So there's like a fun montage kind of sequence, you know, 
of her doing that. And I'm like, okay, that's okay. But the movie just doesn't do anything. It just kind of like sits there flailing around and you're like, I didn't sign up for this bullshit. I didn't sign up for a movie that's more like my science project than Friday the 13th. (laughs) You know, I signed up for a guy in a baby mask killer to go around murdering everybody around tree. And then she has to figure out how to get out of this again. Yeah. You know, I, I I get it, Christopher Landon. You're trying to do something different with a story instead of being a rehash. However, dude, this probably would have worked better as a rehash. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Because you've set an expectation of what people want from this series after your first movie. And then you've completely said, no, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm done with that. Let's make this a sci-fi kind of movie now and forget about the slasher movie elements for the most part let's not do that anymore and that my friend is why your movie failed at the box office Mm. because you changed it too much that is also why Blumhouse has announced they're no longer making any more sequels to this right because you fucked with the formula too much I thought it was weird they actually announced that like that seems like that doesn't happen very much like I get that you want to kind of alt Alter your formula a little bit in sequels. I get that. I'm not disagreeing with that. But when you alter your formula so much that it's not really like the first movie, which is what made me watch the second movie in the first place. Yeah. It doesn't work. No. And it's a disappointment. And yeah, so I can't recommend it at all. Wow. Even to people who dis- who like the first one. Yeah. Or even were mildly entertained by the first one like we were. Yeah. Can't recommend it. I'm sorry. It's uh, it's kind of a head scratcher as to why he did that, uh, to be honest. So, happy death day to you. Bye-bye now. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Next. Okay. To quote Ariana Grande, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that they have fucking <laughs> shirt? You know Ariana Grande? Sort of. She has a song that goes... Thank you, next. That's the chorus. Okay. I was at the mall, and I walked by um, H&M, and they have a fucking shirt on it that says, thank you, next, now. Oh. Give me a break. (laughs) It's a tangent. I get it. Old guy not understanding. Get off my fucking lawn. (laughs) No, that's me. (laughs) Get off my lawn. Happy death day to you. Fuck you. Okay. What's next? All right. um, Sticking with underrated things. I'm going to go with a, a 1988 horror movie that um, I feel like is really not really on the tips of people's tongues. And I've never understood why. And it took me a long time to see this movie for the first time um, back in the day. I didn't see this in the 80s. I saw this in like the 2000s or the n- late 90s, maybe. And I hadn't seen it since, but I'm I remember really liking it. And um, I decided to, I picked up the Scream Factory Blu-ray and um, I'm like, you know, I I know I'm going to like this movie and finally decided to throw it on because I was like, I cannot fucking watch the next Hellraiser movie, but I want to watch something from like that, that era. Um, um, So yeah, I decided to throw on. I don't know. Pumpkinhead. Okay, because you didn't give me any hints. <laughs> I said it was a Scream Factory movie from 1988. Well, yeah, but they have lots of movies from 1988. <laughs> Son of a bitch. The uh, Brain's from 1988, and they put that out, and I'm like, no, he can't be talking about the fucking Brain right now. So this is the directorial debut from Stan Winston, makeup uh, legend, who, of course, did uh, 
fun. Jurassic Park, Aliens, uh, The Terminator. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't really need to say much more. No. Uh, but this was his directorial debut. And it's a, it's a small movie um, about a, um, a, a guy and kind of like, it looked like it was like, like the South. It almost looked like, like Louisiana or something. Yeah. And um, it's got that bayou kind yeah, of feel to exactly, the whole movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's Lance Hendrickson playing this um, this dude who, as a kid, witnessed this uh, you know uh, urban legend monster named Pumpkinhead uh, killing this 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 guy outside the window when he was a kid. So he's grown up now, and he's um, you know has his little house. He's a single dad. And he's got this little road house, roadside stop, uh, roadside uh, store. Um, so he, you know, goes to work with his kid and they're having a great day. And then these teenagers show up who for the most part are pretty nice, you know, teenagers just out for the weekend or whatever. Um, and the couple of them decide they're going to go dirt bike riding. One of them's kind of a dick. Uh, he's like the typical, like, you know, rebellious jock <laughs> type. That's like, you know, you know, mouthing off his girlfriend and just kind of being generally obnoxious. Uh, so him and his brother go dirt bike riding and they accidentally run over Lance Henriksen's child. So the the idiot jock guy like takes off. He's like, oh, fuck, if I get caught, I'm going to be going to like jail because I'm on probation or something. So off for probably for drunk driving. I think it was for drunk driving. So he goes off to their, they're, they're all staying in this cabin in like the nearby bay or woods or whatever. So he goes and takes off there and the others sort of start following. Um, one of them stays behind to take this try and take care of the kid lance Hendrickson comes back because he was off on an errand and the kid ends up dying so sorry this is all like the first it's all set up so i'm not spoiling much um so then lance Hendrickson decides oh you know what i'm gonna there i've heard about this like witch that lives in the in the swamp and um i'm gonna go see if she can you know help here maybe bring my kid back or whatever so off she goes and she's unable to do that but she is able to summon a fucking demon that can like extract revenge on these teenagers so that's what he's like yep fucking go for it (laughs) so um that's what happens and then pumpkin head is born and goes on a killing rampage of all these teenagers that uh killed this young boy so there's not a lot like it's original for sure it's like a different take on this type of story which i liked um none of these actors really have been in anything so like there's not really much to go on there lance is fucking awesome as he always is but this creature is really really cool it was Mm -hmm. done um like stan winston still had his shop but he wasn't doing the effects because he was directing so this is mainly uh Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff, um, I think, did most of the creature design, and they did a killer job. Like, it's just such an original-looking monster, and I love monster movies, and um, especially monster movies from the '80s where they were done with practical effects. And um, it it just looks really cool. The the I thought the the imagery in this movie was really cool. This the um, the few kills that there are are all pretty pretty well set up it's it's pretty intense you don't really know what's going to happen you don't know who's going to live who's going to die because there's no real star and um i thought it was it was fucking awesome and i and i i thought it was awesome when i first saw it but it's just this isn't a movie on the tip of everyone's tongue like the thing or friday the 13th or critters even like i just feel like Pumpkinhead is sort of 
always has been kind of pushed to the side. Now, I think back when it was released, I believe it was done by like the De Laurentiis company or something who I believe went bankrupt. And I think this just got lost in the shuffle and then ended up getting dumped onto video. Yeah, I think it was. I think it sat on the shelf for a year. Yeah, and then just never really got, like, I think horror people knew it, but I don't think it ever really got the release that that um, um, some of the other ones did. But it's just also, like, it's got a bit of a cult following, but it doesn't have the cult following I think it deserves. Yeah, I agree. For some reason, people just aren't discovering this one, and I don't get it. Because it's really, really cool for a creature feature. No, I, I totally agree with you. I, yeah. um, I've always liked Pumpkinhead, the original. Yeah. yeah. Um, my first exposure to this movie was in the uh, Topps trading cards, Fright Flicks. Oh yeah, it came yeah. out in the eighties, in the late eighties, where it was all, you know, they had like Nightmare on Elm Street and all these other movies, and they had a movie on there called Vengeance the Demon. Right. And I was like, oh, what's that? And it was like Pumpkinhead because it was retitled Pumpkinhead from that title. And then I remember seeing a, a, a picture of the creature on the cover of Fangoria. And I was like, okay, I'm in. So I remember I rented this when it first came out on VHS. And I've been a fan of this movie ever since. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's one of those movies that's kind of been diminished by its sequels. To be honest, yeah, I haven't. I've got them all. I haven't seen yeah. the sequels. But. The, the second movie by Jeff Burr is okay, right? Because you know it's got Lene in it, and it's you know trying a, a, to add to the mythos of Pumpkinhead, sort of. And then three and four are fucking miserable. They're mm. they're made by Jake West. Oh, who you yeah. love. I know you love Jake West. Oh, no, I do not love yeah, Jake West. Yeah, I was sar- <laughs> I did was, like Razor Blade Smile. Though. That was sarcasm <laughs> on my behalf because yeah. I know you're not a fan of, uh, e- what's it called? Evil Aliens. Evil yeah, Aliens, I like yeah. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I think this movie does need to be, get a little bit more put on a pedestal. And I don't know how. I mean, Screen Factory has put out a pretty great collector's edition of yeah. it. Um I mean, I think a lot of it is the cast. Like, I think there's just, you know, it's Lance Henriksen, which, who's awesome, and we all know that. But there's not enough of the cast to, to get people that aren't major genre fans. If, if that creature design doesn't pull you in, though. But it pulls us in. Yeah. But it just, uh, I think you need, like, more mainstream people to, a little bit to be interested as well for it to really have a resurgence, right? Yeah. Um, us genre fans aren't always enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the biggest star you have in this is like Jeff East who played like young Superman in the original Superman movie, like teenage Superman. Yeah. Um, you know, I recognized him, but not many people are yeah. going to. And then the only, literally the, the biggest other credit I saw was uh, Cynthia Bain. And her, her biggest credit was she co-starred in, toby hooper's uh spontaneous combustion mm. which is not saying a lot yeah um the the set design in this movie is also really great and uh well yeah because everything buck, flower, sh- buck flowers in this too but again only we're yeah. gonna know guys like that i right? just remember the movie being just shrouded in fog for yeah. most of it like oh, just, and there's this cool yeah. fucking graveyard it's just well all yeah well decked like, out and well looks... yeah like the graveyard where he has to go and bury yeah that's such a cool set design it's so cool yeah, yeah. and then like we said, the creature design. And then there's a stinger in the last half of the movie that I really love, too, that I don't want to spoil for anyone. 
Okay, you well, know what I'm talking about. Well, I don't. We'll I'll talk tell about you after. It I'll, t- I'll talk to you after. The um, the other thing is just you know, as a, a Stan Winston movie, like it's just so great to see a, such an epic creature like this shown, and like yeah. you can tell a effects guy directed it because he was not afraid to show the creature, probably because he had confidence in his in his in his guys right that yeah. were making the creature and it looked fucking good but he knew how to light it he knew he knew how to show it and like this thing was like walking around quite a bit in the movie but like it didn't it it looked good always <laughs> and what? uh yeah, yeah just it's a shame that this isn't more well known it's also good to see a, a an effects guy make an actual good movie because unfortunately i find a lot of these guys don't really make the best movies when they step behind the camera. Yeah. Like, you know, Robert Kurtzman's very hit or miss. Um, you know, the guy who did the late to rest movies, not the best movies in the world. No, even Savini. I mean, uh, I, night 90, I think is quite good. Yeah. But, uh, other than that, well, and even like a guy like Gabe Bartolas, yeah, even he, they're just kind of like, they don't just, there seems to be some sort of disconnect there. And I think Winston nailed it better than most of them have. Yeah, well, I think because he wanted to stay with a small yeah. movie that I th- I think he knew he could handle, right? And I, yeah. I think a lot of them just get overwhelmed, and then it's just effect after effect. He, like Stan Winston knew he was telling a he knew he was telling a story. Like I think he really wanted to tell a story, and that's where I think a lot of these it's just a showcase for their effects. Like the only other one I can think of that's done well is Greg Nicotero, right? But it's, it's pretty much all been Walking Dead. We'll see what he does with Creepshow, but um, but he's really the only one I can think of that's really been successful. Well, this this movie also goes back to what you were talking about when you used the word folklore. Yeah, there's a very heavy folklore vibe. Oh yeah, to Pumpkinhead, and I really like that about Pumpkinhead. Yeah, and this is more of a of a good. That's a better use of the word folklore yeah. than when I used it earlier. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I the like, Manson family's not folklore. No, sorry. but you know what I mean. I like that. Like that yeah. term fits this movie perfectly. And you know, even early in the movie where they have their little sing song about Pumpkinhead, like the kids. Yeah, they're singing about oh, Pumpkinhead yeah. coming to get you, and I'm yeah. like, okay, so it might be a little bit boor- borrowed from Nightmare on Elm Street, sure. But it adds to the this you know legend that you're you're building up, and I thought that worked. So yeah, I think Pumpkinhead. You should definitely give it a give it a shot. Yeah, for sure. and like I said, there's a great Screen Factory Blu-ray of this. It's affordable and worth a look if you've always been kind of wondering what's that Pumpkinhead thing. Yeah, it's fucking good. Check it out. <laughs> yep. Okay, so let's keep it in the slasher movie realm. Let's talk about a movie that I just threw on last night because I was like, yeah, I want to watch something, but what? I'm like, that's 80 minutes. That's directed by Dave Dakotu. Let's do it. And we're going to talk about Final Stab from 2001. Now, this is a super low budget, as most Dakotu movies are, uh, Scream ripoff, I guess. It's Scream meets April Fool's Day in the sense that... uh, at the beginning of the movie, there's a, a big, long kind of, you know, like a Drew Barrymore scream kind of sequence, but it's, you know, not, it's a dream sequence. I'm not ruining this for you. This in the first five minutes before we settle down into the regular story of uh, this. Uh, we meet Kristen, played by Aaron Carter, Aaron Carter, who's like this really bitchy, bitchy girl who like she shows up at this villa and they're like, what are we doing at this villa? Her, her sidekick says, is like, 
well, you know, this was the site of a bunch of murders back in the day. And, oh, what are those? And I've bought this because we're going to we're going to do this thing. I have this business venture that I want to work on. And that business venture is a murder mystery weekend. So because she's such a bitch, she decides I'm going to invite my sister to this. My sister, Angela played by Melissa Renee Martin. And I'm going to invite her and a bunch of other guys. And I'm going to invite her boyfriend, uh, you know, Charlie played by Jamie Gannon, even though I know he's had trauma in his past about people being murdered that are close to him. We're just going to invite them all to this thing for a murder mystery. And then we're going to like, you know, set it up so that there's a slasher going around killing them all. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, guess what, everyone? There's a real mass slasher there who really is killing people. Mm. So that's basically, oh, is that a fake out or is someone really getting killed? Is someone getting their throat slit or what? And, uh, you know, it's a low budget movie. Don't get me wrong. The budget for this is probably not even the catering budget for Pumpkinhead. So oh, <laughs> let's, just, wow. let's just put it that way. It's super low budget. It was shot in four days in Mexico with a no name cast. Dave Dakota, he's like, got to get my shirtless guy in this movie. So he got it in the first, you know, 10 minutes when he takes off his shirt to go into shower. Done. Taken care of. You don't have to do it anymore, Dave. I get it. <laughs> and then, you know, and then it's actually okay. It's like, fairly watchable you know uh the screenplay is kind of tries for jokes that sometimes work there's references to friday the 13th in this and you know the the killer looks okay with this white kind of you know old man looking mask and he just goes around like stabbing people and stuff and i'm like yeah this ain't too bad for 80 minutes sure they're using just flashing lights to make it look like lightning i get it but it's okay (laughs) i'm not minding this at all and i don't like modern day dakotu stuff yeah like to be honest i don't like leeches or speed demon or 1313 cougar club and stuff like that i don't like the fact that this guy makes 14 movies a year because they're all cranked out production line kind of thing, right? But, you know, I respect the dude because he made friggin' Sorority Babes and the Slime Bowl Bowler M and Nightmare Sisters and, you know, and uh, Creepazoids and stuff like that, you know? Movies that might not quite hold up nowadays, but when we were teenagers, we were like, yeah, thanks, Dave. You brought us Linnea Quigley and Michelle Bauer and Brink Stevens with no clothes on while you have a monster romping around and a little bit of gore and stuff. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And then finding out later that he's a gay man and he did this, I'm like, whoa, that blows me away even more. Because I did do an interview with him for the video graveyard a little while back. So you should should read that if you want some extra reading. But, uh, you know, this kind of exceeded my expectations, to be honest. Didn't get blown away. Was watchable if you lower your expectations. Yeah. But uh, when it was over, I wasn't like, well, that was a fucking waste of time. I was just kind of like, ah, that was all right. Yeah. One of those kind of movies. So um, if you like slasher movies, especially slasher movies that rip off Scream and to a little smaller extent, April Fool's Day, which I don't like, but I know a lot of people do. Check it out. Why not? Final stab. Sweet. Okay. Went into the old vault of old vinegar syndrome. Uh (laughs) To see what I could come up with. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) The hearse. Nope. Uh, pulled out a little one called Sweet Sugar. Oh, Sweet Sugar. From 1972, directed by Michel Levesque, Levesque sorry, uh, who did uh, Werewolves on Wheels and then went on to be an art director on uh, a bunch of Russ Meyer movies and uh, 
a cannonball with um, David Carradine. Um, so yeah, didn't have a lot of time as a director, but went on to some other stuff. But this is this is one of his direct directorial uh, efforts. Um, okay, so we start out with a um, groovy uh, theme song about Sweet Sugar, who's this, um, I think she's like a prostitute, and she gets busted for, um, it's a weird opening scene. She's like walking around in this town, and it looked like Mexico, It looked, I actually think it was Costa Rica. Walking around with this town with this dude, the cool theme song's playing, she goes to the hotel room. I'm thinking this guy's a fucking narc, but she's too stupid to know that. So she, um, he gives her weed and she like lights up. Then he's like, Oh, I forgot something leaves. And then she gets busted by the cops. So then she gets taken to jail and she's basically told you can either stay in jail and await trial or you, which could be a long time, or you can go work on this, this sugar plantation. Hmm cutting sugar cane in like a work camp situation and i'm like okay i've fucking seen this a million times but <laughs> i'm never gonna complain about it so <laughs> off she goes um to the prison camp place um where we're met we, where she meets a whole bunch of other uh prisoners so sugar is played by phyllis davis um she was in a whole bunch of stuff really kind of seemed a bit out of place in a way so she her career was all over the place she was in terminal island with stephanie rothman's movie uh russ myers um uh beyond the valley of the dolls um she was one of the co-stars of the tv series vegas so yeah she's had like tv success but then she's been in b movies so kind of all over the place and in this one she's like all out like looking sexy not afraid to take off her top um and pretty nice to look at and she does look like she belongs in a Russ Meyer movie so she was great and she held this whole thing together other than her we've got like the the you know the the, the kind of Spanish looking woman we've got the black woman um, and we've we basically just got uh, we've got the blonde um, so it's kind of like any of these prison movies you've got a black woman you've got a blonde you've got, you've got the fish out of water you've got a Spanish girl um, and but usually you know who they are. Like usually it's Pam Greer or it's Roberta Collins. This one, pretty much everyone was unknown except for Phyllis Davis, who was also unknown to me. So I'm like, I don't really know what I'm watching here. And then even like the male cast, like I didn't know any of them either. But so I'm like, okay, but it actually played out quite well. It played out like a lot better than some of the other women in prison movies that I've seen, particularly the, the Jess Franco ones. Like at least this had a story. At least this had a lead character that I was pretty engaged with pretty quickly. Not just because she was good looking. She was actually kind of fun to watch, like the actress and the way the, her performance she gave. Um, the blonde woman um, played by Pamela Collins was also pretty engaging. There was a black dude that shows up named Mojo, who was pretty rad. And, you know, he he was like the standard, um, the actor's named Timothy Brown. He's like one of these NFL players turned actors. Um, he was in MASH, is pretty much the most, hmm. both the TV show and the um, 
He played that character named Spear Chucker on the TV show. Fuck. The <laughs> 70s were so different, dude. <laughs> but um, he was also... I don't know if that would get along these days. No shit. I was like, oh my God, that's his fucking character name? Are you kidding me? But um, anyway, but he was he was okay. He was actually pretty entertaining. But, you know, it's it's one of these movies where it's just like, you know, he, the black guy is, 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 you know, really cool and everything. But he also, in this movie, he's also a fucking voodoo priest who can cast spells and shit, which was like, what the hell is this doing in a women in prison movie? The other weird part about this movie is when they were not cutting their cane, it became kind of a free-for-all. Like, all of a sudden, they'd be cutting their cane, then, then nighttime would come. And they'd all just be sitting like in a circle and then there'd be like a Mexican band playing and the guards and the inmates would like be all hanging out and drinking beer together. It was really kind of weird in that respect. But then, of course, we've got the evil doctor, Dr. John, who like wants to conduct experiments. He um, has one experiment where he's like um, put this like some sort of drug into cats, like house cats that makes them feral. And then he like locks the women in this like cage and throws the feral cats in. It was a pretty funny uh, scene. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> the, the women are all screaming and it's just these cats that obviously are clearly not feral at all. Just sort of drop being dropped. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, you know, you've got your standard shower scene. You've got your standard, like, um, You've got your standard, um, you know, uh, the the black woman and uh, sugar like fighting cat fights and stuff like that. Um, but you've also got um, some weird comedy. Um, it was anyway. It was it was. These are a fucking dime a dozen. There's a whole. There's so many of these movies. This is one I'd not really heard of. Um, but with this actress, I I was I thought it was all pretty fun actually, and uh, quite enjoyed it. And it really clipped along quickly. So. I'd recommend it if you're like women in prison movies. This is probably one you may not have heard of, and Vinegar Syndrome put out a pretty good disc of it. Good old Vinegar Syndrome. Good old Vinegar Syndrome. Digging up the shit no one's ever heard of. Yep. And they... but, which also makes it difficult to sometimes blind buy them. It really is. But uh, yeah, if you like women in prison, this is one to, one to check they out. They have another one out that I'm curious about called Fugitive Girls. Have you I seen think that that's one? an Al Adamson one, maybe. Is it? Okay. I'm curious about that I have one that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think Renee Bond might be in that, too. I think so. Anyway, I'll report back on Future of Girls. <laughs> All right. Um, so, my last one. You only have one left, correct? I do. Okay. I, got, I timed it good. My last one is a movie that, um, you know, uh, if anyone who's listened to this show knows, uh, I loved a movie from 2015 called The Invitation directed by yeah. Karen Kusama and written by Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi. Uh, so when they announced their next movie was coming out, I was super, super stoked. And I finally got to see it, and that would be 2018's Destroyer, starring Nicole Kidman. Mm. Now, uh, this movie is a lot different from The Invitation, and actually a lot different from all the other Karen Kusama movies, really, uh, to be honest, because she started with Girl Fight, which was like a boxing drama starring Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. Then she did Aeon Flux with uh, Charlize Theron, which was like a sci-fi action movie, which the studio fucked with too much, and she kind of has even said herself that she's disappointed with how that turned out. Then we have Jennifer's Body, which is you know a, a comedy horror movie written by Diablo Cody. Then we have The Invitation, and now we have this, which is a flat-out gritty downbeat cop movie yeah so uh in this movie it opens with uh 
the Nicole Kidman character kind of just like waking up in her car looking really beaten down and beaten up and she gets a report over the radio of a body being found you know by a by a culvert you know like those big uh, sewage drains they have in LA the yeah. big one that yeah, they usually yeah, yeah. do car chases on yeah, you know yeah. what I'm talking about so she just kind of stumbles her way to the crime scene. No one's happy to see her because they're like, oh, fuck, here comes that fucking washout detective right now. And so she sees the body and she's like, I recognize that body. So she starts kind of looking into it. And as she's looking into it, she finds out that um, this guy called Silas, played by Toby Kebble, is back in town. Now, what Silas's significance to her is, is that years and years prior, she had gone undercover with an FBI agent played by Sebastian Stan to kind of infiltrate this gang of like, you know, ro- bank robbers, drug dealers type. And Silas was kind of the head of this family. Is Toby Kebble like that creepy little guy? I'll tell you who he is when we get to it. That looks like Pat Paul Williams. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that when we get to it. But, um, you know, so she's kind of like, oh, that Silas guy's out. I got to find him. So the movie kind of mixes between her trying to track down this Silas guy flashbacks to her kind of going undercover into you know his kind of group and then you know other scenes of her like she has a 16 year old daughter who's hooked up with a she's divorced she has a 16 year old daughter who's hooked up with this scummy guy who's like 25 and the daughter fucking hates her guts and they have scenes of them like fighting with each other and like just beating her down some more and she just fuck looks terrible like she looks terrible in this movie like it doesn't even look like her for most of the movie because yeah. she just looks so bad. So it's kind of flashbacks mixed with modern stuff of her hunting Silas. There's a really fucking awesome bank heist scene in this where she like fucking just gets caught up in the middle of one. Fucking amazing. Hmm. Like suspenseful as shit. Good action. Just very fucking adrenaline fueled. Like boom, boom, boom. Done. Um I think Kasama's got a really good grip on her visuals in this movie. Like, there's a lot of really cool shots, like overhead shots, where there'll be people talking at a table and they'll kind of flip overhead and kind of pan somewhere else. And very, very, looks really good, like really well shot. Um, Great score by Theodore Shapiro. Sounds almost John Carpenter-ish at times. Okay. So really, really good score that way. And and really, dude, like... uh, I know you're not a big Nicole Kidman fan, but she's really fucking good in this. Like she really dives into this. Like she just bought into this character huge. And, and you're like, you're just like, I've never seen her do the stuff she does in this movie, man. Like she just like crawls into this character and is just like, gives it like, she's not a pleasant person for most of this movie. And she's got a rough fucking life going on. And, she just shows it on her face and shows it in her actions. And, and the thing is, is this, this like one of those movies, like you were talking about almost human Yeah. where right from the get go within the first 10 minutes, I'm like, I am into this movie Yeah. and there's nothing that's going to take me out of this movie Yeah. because it's constructed so ingeniously and so well, given that the script really works, the direction really works and her lead performance really works. Right. So I'm just like, I'm really into this and it didn't disappoint me. Like, if I would have seen this last year, it might have cracked my top five at the end of the year. I really enjoyed this. And I like gritty crime movies, and I like the way they constructed this one because they made it, like, loop in on itself a lot. And it just was very interesting to see how they did it. Nice. Like, the script does a lot of looping back to itself, and it worked really well for this. 
Um, so, so Toby Kevel, as you were asking, uh, he was in the movie we saw him in was Hurricane Heist. He played the brother who was like the the scientist dude. Remember the scientist who had the fancy pimped out oh. SUV? That's Toby Kebbell. Who the fuck am I thinking of? Yeah, I don't know. But that's who Toby Kebbell is. He's a British guy. So he had the British accent in uh, Hurricane Heist. The only other thing I noticed on his uh, filmography that I thought I'd bring up is a movie called Dead Man's Shoes, which is a movie that our past guest, Vince D'Amato, mentioned on his underrated 2000s list. It's a, he was the brother, the cool he, guy brother. He was the not cool guy brother. Who thought he was a cool guy? Remember, he had the SUV that had the spikes that shot out of the bottom, so that when he drove into the middle of a hurricane, his car wouldn't move. Oh, he was the lead. Yeah, he was the co-lead. The guy that was swinging around on the rope. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's Toby Kevel. But what the uh, fuck am I thinking of? I don't know, but uh, yeah, this movie, I, I, I loved it. I, I can't not recommend it especially if you're a fan of of karen kusama as a director which i really am yeah and uh you know after this and the invitation i'm really excited to see what she can do next because uh she's delivered movies that are in my wheelhouse have enough interesting ideas going for them and 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 you know really 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 well made stuff have you seen girl fight i saw girl fight a long time ago it's the one i have to revisit it's really good. Yeah, I remember liking it. The only one of hers I haven't really liked is uh, Aeon Flux. But, yeah, I didn't really but like But judging that. from the fact that she's saying there was studio interruption, it makes sense. Oh, I didn't realize that. And I haven't seen Jennifer's Body. And her segment in XX was, was pretty good for the most oh, part. Right. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see what she does next. And I thought Destroyer was pretty rad. Nice. If you're into like gritty crime films, definitely recommend it. Sure. I was thinking of an actor named Toby Jones. Oh, okay. He's you know a, who that is? He's a shorter dude. He's the shorter dude that yeah. looks like Paul Williams. You have any interest in Destroyer at all? She's kind of on my no-watch list. Yeah. But I might make an exception because if it is a crime thing. Yeah, it's a total crime movie. And that heist scene alone, man. I've seen a lot of heist scenes lately, and that's one of my favorites. Wow. So Yeah, very, I'll probably check it out. Very, yeah. very, very good. Yeah. Nice. Josh's VHS Adventures! Yes, Josh's Adventures in Mediocrity. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't let out a heavy sigh after I finished. <laughs> That's usually what happens. <laughs> Fuck, man. I, I, you know... I don't know. I, I gotta like. I gotta, I gotta get some new stuff over here. You know I, what you gotta do is you just gotta dive into Ginty. <laughs> I just gotta grab some, you know, really... I just got to grab a box. You of, get you get canon stuff. You get POW the escape with David Carradine. I know. I have so much cool shit. <laughs> I have so much cool shit. And then what do I pick? I'm going to fucking watch Dominion from 1995 directed by Michael G. Kehoe. Is this the uh, Tim Thomerson in it? Yeah. Okay. It's harmless. It's, it's not going to fucking kill you to watch this movie. But... Man, oh man. <laughs> okay, so we've got it wallows in mediocrity is what Josh is saying. Brad Johnson stars as Harris. Who's Brad Johnson? Well, he's that guy that looks like Tom Berger in Flight of the Intruder. What's Flight of the Intruder? <laughs> yeah, that's this eighties movie or nineties movie that no one fucking remembers. Early nineties. Early Danny 90s. Glover. Yeah. Okay, you remember. Oh, yeah, Willem, I remember Willem Dafoe. Yeah, I don't mind that movie. Anyway. 
he was the other guy. Okay. <laughs> he was the guy I don't remember being in that movie. But that's on the box. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> like, kind of like the lead that no one remembers. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. But he looks like Tom Berenger, so whatever. Anyway, he's okay. He's fine in this. So he's like this cop, ex, maybe ex-cop, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> he's like going on a camping trip with his buddies that include Tim Thomerson, Woody Brown. Who's Woody Brown, Josh? Well, Chris, Who's Woody Brown, Josh? He was the uh, lead in Animal Instincts 2. I recognized him from that. And he was also one of the rapists from The Accused. So that's, that's kind of our star power. Uh, we've also got Jeffrey Blake and Glenn Morshower, who I've... Have I told the story about Glenn Morshower ever? I don't know. Okay, so let's tell that story. Ah. So once upon a time, I used to work in, in this video store in North Vancouver. I might have told this story. Anyway, I'm sitting there working away. I used to work the late shift, like the, like, I usually work 6 till 2.30 in the morning. Like all so. those gothy types did. <laughs> Sometimes I worked graveyards. Anyway, there was this dude that used to come in. Well, he came in this one time. And he comes out to the counter. He's this, like, kind of tall, redheaded dude, like, you know, mid-40s. And I'm like, hey. And he's like, hey, I'd like a membership. And I'm like, okay, well, can I have some ID? And he, like, pulls out this photograph of him and Harrison Ford on the Air Force One set. And it was, like, not a... (laughs) Not a like a small like was it like an eight four, by ten. It was like an eight by ten, <laughs> and I'm like, "This do anything for you, fucker? <laughs> like, why are you giving me this?" And he's like, "Well, this is my ID," and I'm like, "No, this is a photograph. I need your fucking <laughs> driver's license." Anyway, I'm kind of like, "Who's this douchebag?" Right? <laughs> and anyway, turns out he he actually became a customer. I actually really looked forward to coming in. But it turns out he's this character actor. Not, I didn't recognize him, but I fucking recognize him in, all the time now. And he, like, pops up on, like, he'll be on 24. He'll be, like, the president's aide. Or, you know, he'll be, like, so he's, like, he's not, like... He's one of those guys. But he's 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 not just, like, he's in a lot of shit, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Like, he's not, like, a nobody. He's been in tons of stuff. But, yeah, it was just such a weird thing that he did that. But then he used to come in and tell stories about, like, being on set. So I actually, like, ended up liking him. But I'm like, God, dude, fucking need to feed your ego much? He's pointing at the 8 to 10. He's like, 8 by 10. He's like, who's that there? Who's that? That's Harrison Ford. <laughs> now, who the fuck is this? Look, look, pointing his face, pointing at the picture. Who the fuck is that with Harrison Ford? Give me a fucking membership now. <laughs> he was a nice guy. He was a really. I I did really look forward to seeing him. So, uh, uh, I'd actually I'd actually hoped we could maybe reach out to him and get him on the show. I think he still lives here part time, but uh, alas, it didn't. I don't think he remembered the old Tom's video clerk. But anyway, back to Dominion. The reason I even know about this movie is because when Glenn was there I would I would ask I'd kind of interview him sometimes I'd be like well what what what's your favorite stuff you've been in and he would always point to a movie called 84 Charlie Mopic yep I've seen that which was a good movie decent found footage war movie and Dominion this movie so we had it so I I picked it up and actually bought it and um yeah and it's just it's this like movie and it's about this group of guys led by Brad Johnson that includes Glenn Morshower that go off into the woods on a camping trip. And then it um, becomes like a, 
kind of a surviving the game type thing where um brian james from blade runner is this like um ex um ex uh like forest ranger wilderness company dude who's gone crazy of course he who's is like hunting down the campers when of they come of course he yeah. is so it just becomes kind of the standard oh no there's this guy trying to kill us all and kind of almost like a slasher movie but also kind of like a survival movie and it just should have been a lot better but it was really mainly just Brad Johnson like running through the forest lots is what it kind of ended up being one thing I will say is Glenn Morshower, I thought, had a pretty cool take. He played his character super scared, which you don't see a lot of. A lot of these movies, it's usually just like fucking testosterone fast and no one's scared and everyone's just like they're all just manning up, figuring out how to deal with the situation. Whereas he chose to play this character scared shitless, like kind of like like visibly like quivering at times and like blubbering and and I thought it was a really interesting choice and I do want to give him props because that performance did kind of stand out. I'm not just saying this because I kind of knew the guy at one time, but I, I can see why he was pointing to this movie as one one that he was proud of. So from the, from that perspective, interesting to see a bit of a different take. But really, this is just a kind of standard, let's go fucking make a movie in the forest because it's cheap and a bunch of people running around trying to escape from Brian James. The characters don't have a lot to do. One of them's like stuck in a cage for half the time. Another one's like, you know, wounded, got a wounded leg and is sitting against a tree. Like they really don't have much to do. There's like this posse that's formed at one point. The leader of the posse was, you know, really obnoxious and you know he was serviceable leaf garrett was there i didn't even recognize him so it's it's yeah this is a total pass but um it is what i just happened to watch this time around so that's a movie called dominion featuring footage from surviving the game and sniper <laughs> josh is me okay so let's get to 1999 all right so 1999, the year way too many people thought the world would descend into utter chaos thanks to the Y2K bug. That when the clock struck midnight and rolled over onto the year 2000, all computer systems would be unable to handle the date change due to its two-digit calendar format causing all sorts of errors and the breaking down of systems, a reason we had something out of a movie of people gathering supplies and getting ready to hunker down in a bunker to defend themselves, kind of like Massive Retaliation last episode. I was scared when that happened. I was at a KISS concert. And it didn't happen. No, it didn't. (laughs) Um, Other major events of the year included the war in Kosovo, um, Columbine High School Massacre, which would become the worst shooting in American history and inspire... A Michael Moore documentary as men as countless, countless copycats, unfortunately. That was 1999? Yep. Are you kidding me? Nope. Um, series of nail bombs planted by David Copeland in London, England, where he would take them and put them in you know, major metrop- metropolitan areas, and they would basically blow up and shoot nails all over the place. Killed three people, including a pregnant lady. So 1999 was not a pleasant year. And also the year that Bill Quill Clinton was acquitted in his impeachment proceedings for not having sex with that woman. Um, on the entertainment side of things, top five grossing films of 1999, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Gross. 
The Sixth Sense, Toy Story 2, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, and The Matrix. Um, Oscar winner for Best Picture was Shakespeare in Love, and we all groaned when oh, it was announced. Oh, God. Can you remember that? Uh, yeah. It's not worthy. That was like, that's where the Oscars turned. As far as <laughs> was Shakespeare in Love? No, when that happened, that's when I was like, oh, this isn't. This isn't the days of fucking taxi driver anymore. <laughs> um, people we lost in 1999 included critic Gene Siskel, uh, singer Dusty Springfield, legendary director Stanley Kubrick, uh, heavy drinking Oliver Reed from The Devil's Tommy and numerous low-budget action horror flicks at the end of his career that Josh and I spent many a days at the video store renting, uh, troubled different stroke star Dana Plato, George C. C. Scott, who won an Oscar for Patton, but was also in Hardcore, The Hustler, and New Centurions, which Josh has spoken about on another episode. And Madeline Kahn from the Muppet movie Blazing Saddles and Clue. So uh, that's what happened in 1999. So our format for this one was we decided to look back on the year, and we both picked five movies from that year that we thought is worth your time. Uh, I set forward the rule for myself that I was not going to include the obvious mainstream beloved things like the matrix or fight club or things like that. Did you have any parameters? No, I, I also generally avoided the, the, the big stuff. Okay. So let's start. It was also the year of American pie. Yep. I didn't, I didn't include that. And in the world of Bond, this was the world is not enough. If you're a Bond fan, this is the uh, la- second last of the Pierce Brosnan era. Yeah. Um, what else came out that you've talked about? Uh, Sixth Sense, um, Fight well, Club, Office Space. Yeah. So, well, and then the Blair Witch, even though it was one of the highest grossing independent films of all time, and uh, the beginning of the resurgence of film footage films, I didn't include that. Like you said, with Office Space, I just thought it became too cult over the years to include. And uh, I also didn't include Payback, the film from uh, with uh, Mel Gibson, because I talked at length about it on our underrated 90s episode. Right. So let's dive in. What's your first pick? Oh, are we doing like numbered picks again? I didn't put them in order. Okay. Run, Lola, run. Okay. Good choice. Um. So this is yeah this is yeah this is another one that no one ever fucking talks about anymore for some reason maybe because the gimmick is like well, I I don't think it's really been tapped out because anyway the movie is about um it's a German movie directed by Tom Twiker stars Franka Patent as a uh, woman named Lola and it's basically um, just a very fast paced um, techno music um, driven movie about her trying to get somewhere and then there's it's got some alternate views on that on what happens right don't i mean if you haven't seen it i don't really want to give too much away but it's just a really colorful um yeah just fast paced like the music in particular in this movie really kind of shines it's just this you know crazy young redheaded german girl um running lots to yeah. try and uh, to try and get somewhere right um but uh, yeah I, 
I, I just feel like it's one of those ones that yeah was really really popular at the time, and um, it, this you know because this this was a kind of a cool time for cinema. Like there were a lot of these directors kind of coming up that, um, that yeah, quite a few of them actually were there. They were just kind of. It was the real indie thing because, you know, video was still a thing. You could still make a lot of money by having your movie released mm-hmm. on Blockbuster. And a lot of people would discover your movie. So it was a totally different era. And this was a time where there were a lot of people that a lot of young directors were able to get their shit out there. And um, it was it, this was quite popular at the time. But I feel like over time it's no one talks about run lolo run anymore and i still think it's a pretty fun flick i haven't seen it in a while but um i, I remember enjoying this quite yeah. quite a lot so yeah i bought the blu-ray of it so oh, you bought the blu-ray yeah i did because i again i had a good time with this when i saw it originally too i haven't seen it in a while but i i liked it enough to buy the blu-ray when i saw it for yeah. a good price so that's got to say something about it totally yeah and uh he did the warrior and the princess yeah, with this. with her as well. And what did he do? Anything North American? I feel like he did a Bourne movie, but I might be wrong. Huh? I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Uh, Neither why am I. Clearly. Why don't you look that up while I do my first choice? Okay. Uh, I picked Bowfinger. Okay. Yeah. Which is um, the last thing I remember Eddie Murphy being good in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest, um, Steve Martin plays a fast talking, but like kind of hacky, failing movie producer in Hollywood and he's like trying to get this sci-fi movie called Chubby Rain off the ground but nobody wants to give him money because he's kind of a loser and you know he he's a hack let's just say he's a hack right so um he's like well the way I can get this movie to work is I can cast this giant film star in it and the played by Kit Ramsey played by Eddie Murphy right and he's like you know Maybe we can get him to be in our movie. Well, obviously, this guy's this movie, this shitty low budget sci-fi movie is above this big star. So they're like, okay, so we're just gonna like covertly film him in scenes for the movie. Like we'll have right. him. At, yeah. He'll be at like a diner, and we'll have someone come up to him in like our alien outfit to freak him out and shit like that. We'll do all that kind of stuff. And then when that starts to not work for him. They also find this lookalike guy, also played by Eddie Murphy, who's this really nerdy dude. Yeah. He's just like, awesome, I'm in a movie or whatever. And so he's playing it, multiple roles again. Yeah, well, but this time it actually works in the movie's benefit. Um, it usually doesn't. But, um, you know, uh, Heather Graham plays the female lead love interest. There's a scene in it where she has to take her top off for the screen and, and the nerdy character's like, awesome, awesome, which is like what Josh and I would probably do if we were on a movie set and we saw that happen. Um, Heather Graham, yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a fun little movie directed by Frank Oz who did uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrel and Little Shop of Horrors and most famous for being the voice of Miss Piggy and directing a couple of the Muppet movies um, and written by Steve Martin also who I really think Steve Martin's kind of underrated in general. He is. I yeah. think a lot of his movies like director, her, the man with two brains <laughs> and the jerk and even LA story and stuff like that to a smaller extent are all good movies that he hasn't really been recognized for. Yeah. Uh, he wrote it and uh, you know, it's just a funny satirical take on Hollywood and you got Steve Martin kind of channeling guys like Roger Corman and, and you know, producers like that, like David F. Freeman and stuff like guys who are just there to make a quick buck, but not really caring much about the quality of their films. Right. So kind of like that. And, uh, you know, just like you said about run, Lola run, 
I really don't think anyone talks about Bowfinger anymore. They don't. I mean, it's, I've never seen it. Actually. I mean, when I looked it up, it made okay money yeah. when it came out, but nobody talks about it. And really, is the last movie with Eddie Murphy where I'm like, this is why I like Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and that doesn't happen a lot since you know the '80s. So uh, it, it's really worth seeking out, especially if you're a fan of like Hollywood-based kind of satirical comedy. For I sure, I think we talked about this on our movies about movies. We could have, yeah. But uh, it's definitely, obviously, I like it enough to bring it up again. Nice. So, Bowfinger. Nice. Have we figured out if he did anything North American? Yes. Tom Tickwer, not Tyker, uh, also directed, yeah, The Princess and the Warrior, Perfume, a story of a murder, which I've never seen but have wanted to. Movie called The International with Clive Owen. Okay, that's just like a spy thriller. And he was in, uh, did one of the pieces in Cloud Atlas. Okay. Um, and basically doing some TV stuff now. So he's, he's done some other features as okay. well. Um, but yeah, not, nothing really hitting, hitting okay. quite where we, where he, where he was back then. Okay. So, um, still, still working, which is, which is cool, but, uh, I just thought he was going to be like kind of like the next big thing, right? Okay. At the time. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. What's what's the next choice? The next choice is The Virgin Suicides. Okay. Directed by Sofia Coppola. I have not seen it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of those ones that just um it's it's a slow ass movie, but it's um it's and I hate it when people describe movies like this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. It's got a real kind of dreamy quality to it. Um, because it's be it's it's a story of of uh, there's this family. Um, mom is played by um, Kathleen Turner. Dad is played by James Woods, and it's a family of these five young girls, um, including um, the the kind of main focus of uh, is played by Kristen Dunst. There's these five young girls that live in this house with this um, with these parents. And the parents are pretty overprotective, and it's it's the the movie's kind of told through the memory of this group of boys that were kind of fascinated with these girls, and um, had some interactions with them, and it's just kind of told about like the memory of them and their kind of fascination with with these girls, and I don't really want to give a lot um, away um, about what happens to them, but it is. Um, it's a really kind of touching and tragic movie and uh, just beautifully shot. And, and just it really impacted me when I saw it because I just was really kind of sucked into the whole state of the movie and, and the characters, of course. And um, and it just kind of left me with this. It just really kind of left me with it made a huge impression on me. Um, and I I haven't seen it a lot. It's one of those ones that I've seen once, and almost like the boys in the movie, I kind of almost want to leave it there with this kind of weird, kind of like, yeah, this weird hallucinatory memory of it almost, as, as opposed to watching it over and over again. Um, I, I'm sure I will one day, but um, yeah, it really, really made an impact on me. Um, and for something that I wasn't expecting to at all, like just with the storyline and uh, 
and um, I, I just it's it's not something I would normally gravitate towards, but I, I did I did like Sofia Coppola as I kind of liked her her whole vibe like in interviews and stuff, and she was like dating like Spike Jones at the time I think, and just seemed like a really cool girl, and uh, so I decided to give it a shot, and and yeah, I was really happy I did, and it's it, when I was looking through the movies of the year, it's probably the one that made the biggest impression on me. Cool. I I've only I think I've only seen um, Lost in Translation and her Beguiled remake. I don't think I've I've seen yeah. any of any of her other movies. But like, I have somewhere at home, which is the Stephen Dorff one, which I'm interested in, and she has one coming out. I don't know what it's called. That sounds pretty good, but uh, yeah, she she's she also she's, did the Mary Antoinette movie with Kirsten. Yeah, Lance, uh, well. yeah, she seems kind of hit or miss in a way. From what I can tell, like the Beguiled was kind of, yeah, like it was okay, but it just wasn't really my jam. And I'd rather watch the Clint Eastwood movie, to be honest. Yeah. But I, I do like Lost in Translation quite a bit. So yeah, I've always meant to get around to this one. But again, too much to watch. It's worth a look for sure. Okay. I, I have the I have the book at home, too. I want to read the novel probably mm, first. Yeah. So I'll probably do it that way. Um, next up for me is a movie I have also talked about on the underrated 90s episode, so I'm not going to talk about this very much. But uh, the reason it's on my list is because uh, 1999 was kind of around that time. A lot of horror movies were content to just be like bad remakes, like The Haunting or bad direct-to-video sequels or like early poor CG heavy shark movies like Deep Blue Sea or something like that. And, you know, a lot and a lot of movies with like that religious themes, you know, like Stigmata and End of Days and yeah. things like that. So so this was like a refreshing kind of thing for me. This was based on the Richard Matheson novel. I'm talking about Stir of Echoes hmm. starring Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Um, so really, this is just a uh, a movie with where he kind of goes to a party at his sister's, a psychic reading, and she kind of hypnotizes him in a way that he's able to see these memories of murders and stuff that have happened around the neighborhood, and it kind of drives him to uncover a mystery and also kind of makes him lose his sanity a little bit along the way. Um, you know, a really interesting hook to the story, I thought, and, and I thought the visuals in this were really strong, like a lot of the nightmare sequences and stuff like that really worked for me, and I've always liked Kevin Bacon, and I think he's really good in this as well because you always kind of picture Kevin Bacon as either that footloose guy or that guy who's in like, you know, silly comedies or something like that. And I'm like, fuck that shit. I picture Kevin Bacon in Stir of Echoes or Death Sentence, you know? Yeah, like, I, I, that's, I only yeah. picture him that way, to be like, honest. Like yeah. more, you know, that stoic Hardcore campaign. Flatliners. Sure, maybe Tremors, maybe Tremors yeah. works its way in there once in yeah, a while because yeah. Tremors is fucking rad, okay? Fair yeah. enough. But I always picture him like that that death sentence, a movie no one fucking talks about in show. Oh, I know, or yeah. Stir of Echoes, you know? I always like him. So it was great to see him carry this movie than this interesting horror movie when it was mostly crap coming out for horror that year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just hit a sweet spot for me and really worked for me. So Stir of Echoes it is. Have you seen it recently? I saw it about... Three years ago, three four. Like years I liked ago? it a lot too when it came out. I but still I hold do, up. I do think of CG when I think yeah. of that movie. Was it bad? I'm not as bad as you might think. Okay. Yeah, I don't. It didn't really take me out of anything. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think I might have liked it as much when I revisited it, but I still like it. Yeah, yeah. So it's still worth me putting 
on this list. It's still worth seeking out. Yeah, because there was like all that basement stuff, and then there was yeah. like something in a movie theater. I think. Yeah, it was. It's just yeah. a really solid, visually strong. Yeah. You know, and bacon. Bacon's pretty awesome in this, so yeah, check it out. All right. Uh, the, okay, I loved this movie. I fucking loved this movie when it came out, but don't know if I'm going to love it now, <laughs> but I really loved it when it came out, and it's Detroit Rock City. It's still pretty good. Is it? Yeah. All right. Is this on your list? No. Okay. I, I, I've, I saw it like probably a year and a half ago. It's still pretty good. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So directed by Adam Rifkin, so you might be able to fill in some of the blanks for me. Um, but I mean, a pretty good young cast at the time. Um, the, the leads are all uh, Edward Furlong, and this is when he was still kind of cool. Uh, Giuseppe Andrews, who's who kind of gotten really weird since. He's done a lot of experimental films. Never real. I thought he was gonna another one. I thought it was gonna be kind of a big, bigger name. James DeBello, who was in like everything back in the day, and a guy named Sam Huntington. And this is a group of guys that um, I think they win. They win a, a contest to go see Kiss, mm-hmm. and then something happens with the ticket, and they have to go on a road trip, and then try and like get their find a way to get into the Kiss concert. Right? Is that pretty much uh, what happens? Pretty much. Yeah. And along the way, they run into like different characters that like are named after Kiss songs, like Beth and Christine. Yeah. Um, Natasha Leone's there. She's pretty great in this. Um, this is before she. Uh, she's got that new series on Netflix, which I haven't watched, but it's pretty good. She had a really rough patch. Like, it's a pretty good series. Is it? You watched yeah, it? I watched. Oh it. wow! Yeah. All right. Um, she had a pretty rough patch like about 10 years ago, like it, where she was like living on the streets and it seemed like she was going to die. Like it was pretty hairy shit that was going on in her in real life. But back in this movie, this is the, this is the kind of role I used to really love her in. And yeah, this was around the same time as uh slums of Beverly slums Hills. Of Beverly Hills yeah. yeah. But I'm a cheerleader was another one. She was, Oh yeah, yeah. That's a pretty yeah, good one. She's been in some good movies. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, but I mean, as a kiss fan, I mean, this, this is kind of like, just kind of hit all the spots. It had all the cool references I wanted. And, um, and just, yeah, some pretty memorable scenes. Like Shannon Tweed. There's Shannon Tweed. There's like barfing in a blender. Yeah. There's the bar scene. Yeah. Yeah, There's, um, you know, this is a, convenience store hold up scene where you know but debello like summons the kiss army and yeah. it's just it's just a really fun movie it, particularly if you're a fan of kiss but it, it was just one of those comedies of the time that just was a little off kilter that i really enjoyed as as uh you know i do like movies like that where you just just so like really random shit happens and uh yeah it was it was a lot of fun i really really liked it at the time i bought it on dvd i think i watched the dvd once and i haven't seen it since so right. that's why i was a little skeptical like oh shit is this one still gonna be good yeah, now? i bought the blu-ray and it sounds like it it's is still yeah. pretty good yeah nice yeah but uh it's funny though because like up to that point there was really no movies about kiss apart from kiss meets fan of the park no but then there's that movie role models from oh yeah. 10 years later like or 2008 <laughs> where there's that whole you know they show up at the larping dressed as kiss. Yeah. And then there's like Sean William Scott um <laughs> yeah. explaining to the little black kid that uh Love Gun it's a song about his cock. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so it's pretty pretty awesome too. But yeah. uh, no Detroit Rock City is a fun little movie for sure. Cool. Yeah. I I still liked it. Nice. Um next up for me is Three Kings. Starring, okay, yeah. starring uh, George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, Ice Cube, and Spike Jones. 
as um, they're U.S. soldiers during the Gulf War, and they find a map that is supposed to lead to a cache of gold, and they get themselves into some hairy situations and a bunch of firefights along the way to fame and fortune. And they also fight a lot with each other because, you know, there's gold at stake, so why wouldn't you fight with each other? Um, I find this one interesting because it's uh, the Hollywood debut for David O. Russell after making, like, Spanking the Monkey and Flirting with Disaster. Yeah. And it's totally not what you'd expect from him. No. Because those two movies are kind of, like, quirky, kind of indie, black comedy type of things. Like, you know, Spanking the Monkey is basically about a guy who jerks off all the time and, you know... His mother breaking her arm or something or, you know, it's a really weird fucking movie. Yeah. And then Flirting with Disaster has like, I think it's Ben Stiller's character has a fucking fetish about like licking armpits yeah. and shit. So they're both really bizarre black comedies. So you're like, why is he making this kind of fucking action movie set in the in the desert with like big name stars and shit exploding and everything? And But uh, I really like this because... Of the fact that it's David O. Russell making it because he decided to, uh, you know, give it more of a black comedy tone to it at times. And, you know, he he used different types of film, you know, he filmed with handheld, he used Steadicam, he he did this negative processing that gave it this like deserty, washed out, grainy look. And he insisted that every explosion in the movie be like a one take explosion and that they would show the whole fucking explosion. Like they wouldn't really cut away from the explosion when it happened. So, I mean, great stuff for a guy who's like, I'm not used to making action movies, but I'm doing it my fucking way. Right. And it actually worked for me. And, uh, I thought Spike Jones, who's like, you know, a legendary, you know, music video director for, we picked friggin' his Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's video as our favorite horror-themed music video of all time. He's great in this as the kind of the comic relief who steals a lot of scenes. And, you know, along with Boogie Nights and the big hit, this movie makes me wonder why I just don't like modern-day Mark Wahlberg. (laughs) Like, I really don't like him that much. Like, I don't have any interest in seeing his rah-rah-rah America number one action movies. Yeah, he's really, really like, like doubled down on those yeah, two. Yeah, and like, but this paired with Boogie Nights and the big hit, I'm like, this guy should have been awesome. Yeah, I think maybe it was when the happening came out. I was like, fuck this guy, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> it could have been that, but uh, also now he's another one who's saying, kind of disowning Boogie Nights too. So yeah. you know, fuck him, whatever. Yeah, but but Three Kings is a really good, really like exciting and fast paced action movie from a guy you wouldn't expect to do it. And it totally works. Nice. So that's why it's there. I've never seen Three Kings. Oh, it's it's pretty good. Yeah. Right? Nice. I can lend you the Blu-ray if you want. I have the DVD somewhere. Oh, okay. Well, then you should dig it out. I <laughs> Easier said than done. I know. We always say that, right? We should yeah. dig this out. And then we look at our stacks of stuff and we're like, I don't even know where the fuck it is. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's around somewhere. Uh, it's around somewhere. Okay. What's next? Okay. Next. Oh, I'm, I'm going to struggle on this one because I'm stuck between two. So I don't know which one to pick. Just caught between two lovers. Blah, 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 uh, blah, I'm going to go with Magnolia. <laughs> All right. From director Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I've not seen it. You've never seen Magnolia? Even though I like Paul Thomas Anderson movies, yeah. I have not seen it. So this was his follow-up. Respect to... the cock. That's all I know. Yeah, respect the cock. <laughs> uh, this was his uh, follow-up to Mo- Boogie Nights. 
Um, this was, you know, a lot of people call this quite his like big self-indulgent movie um, because it 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 is pretty epic. It's long. I can't remember the running time, but it's I think long. It's, it's close to three hours. Yeah, it's got multiple storylines going on that um you know and a big thing back in the 90s was like having multiple storylines that kind of all end up colliding so it's one of those Thank kind you, of movies Tarantino. Hmm? yeah <laughs> uh, really good cast um actually probably my favorite cast member was a woman named uh melora walters in this um she was in boogie nights i believe she played Don Cheadle's girlfriend in that, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, she was in this playing in in one of the lead lead roles, and and I thought totally stole the show. Uh, John C. Riley's in this. Tom Cruise playing yeah, uh, this like motivational speaker um, that's like all about guy, kind of like a Tucker Max type character. Respect the cock. Yeah, Jason Robards, um, Julianne Moore. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, so the William H Macy, the usual suspects in in kind of like the great indie movies of the time period, and a great fucking cast. It's a great cast, and I mean this movie. It's just one of those ones that Anderson really like. There's really great like long takes in this, which we know I love. Um, you know, some really great, great like steady cam shots. Like there's one that goes through like a, a movie a TV studio that's just just seems to go on forever it's just so well constructed and it's just yeah for paul thomas anderson i think this is the movie um that i yeah i I love boogie nights but i think this is probably technically my favorite of his movies um there's some there's some really interesting use of music amy man did the whole score which i thought was an interesting choice but a really good one um there's some surprises that happen in this that you just aren't expecting at all like really really like whoa what the hell is going on and um and yeah and, and like tarantino other than amy man there's other songs as well and anderson just really knows how to how to do that this was like i think i think probably his best movie i know you know all the they will there there will be blood people are gonna like yell at me i was a little bored and they will be blood i'm one of the boogie nights people who might yell at you (laughs) well i love boogie nights no i mean i think boogie nights is my favorite of his movies but i think this is probably his best movie okay does that make sense yep yeah um but um but yeah a lot of people love they will there will be blood and i've never seen it so i haven't seen so um and i did not like the master i wasn't big on the master either to be honest yeah but i i but when i after i saw this i was like wow this is like the best director around right now i i know tarantino but i mean (laughs) paul thomas anderson was right up there as well i thought especially after this movie uh again haven't seen it in quite some time so i i don't know if it holds up and i've you know a lot of people are kind of down on this movie but i remember when i when i saw it back then and even when i watched it on dvd I remember being totally in love with this movie, and I think I probably still am. So that's that would be my next pick. All right. Um, so keeping with the theme of uh, someone making a movie that you wouldn't expect them to make, just like Three Kings, I'm going to talk about the least David Lynch-like movie made by David Lynch, and that would be The Straight Story. <laughs> um, so based on a, a true story, um, Richard Farnsworth, who... I believe won the Oscar for this, or he was at least nominated. Plays Alvin Strait, who's uh, like a, I think he's like about 80, 80 years old around there. And he finds out that his brother, played by Harry Dean Stanton, 
has a stroke and is in the hospital and you know he wants to go visit these four he lives 400 kilometers away or so and he's like i want to go visit but uh, you know i don't i can't get a driver's license because you know my eyesight's failing me or whatever so i'm just gonna fucking hop on my john deere riding mower and i'm gonna make the journey to uh see my brother and along the way he's obviously gets himself into a lot of uh situations and it's a road trip movie at its heart. It's basically just a road trip movie with the standard road trip movie stuff where he's like, you know, you have your pitfalls, he meets all these weird characters, and, you know, it's really entertaining and gets a really great performance out of a guy who, you know, at that age shouldn't be carrying a Hollywood movie, but they actually said, fuck it, let's let him do it, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, this feels muted, even for for a David Lynch movie. Like, this doesn't feel like a David Lynch movie at all when you're watching it. And I think that's also why I really love it, because I'm like, it shows, like, you expect this stuff out of him. You expect the Blue Velvets. You expect the Mulholland Drives or the Lost Highways and stuff. And then you have this movie come along, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And But it shows just how good of a director he really is, though, if he can pull that off. Yeah. You know, and, and... you know, this is a movie I obviously I haven't seen it for a while to be honest, but I remember just I loved the how simple the story was. I thought the um the dia- the dialogue in this was super realistic, like I could buy the characters for sure. Like, you know, like in a lot of these movies they're either too syrupy or they're like their dialogue just doesn't ring true because it's being syrupy. In this movie I never got that feeling at all. I was just like, okay, yep, makes sense. This is how it works. And and Considering the premise, way more engaging than it has any right to be. Right. It's a movie about a guy riding a fucking lawnmower across two <laughs> yeah. states. How engaging can that possibly be? Well, I'm telling you, very, very yeah. engaging. Nice. So this straight story, definitely uh, definitely a big pick. Cool. Have you seen it? No. You've never seen it? Never. Se- I haven't seen most of Lynch's stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know I haven't seen Mulholland Drive, and I always get shit for that from, uh, from a girlfriend, but... Uh, yeah. This just seems so unlike him and I think that's also why I like it even more. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. All right, my last one is um a black comedy that I like totally adore. Okay. And uh it's about uh it's about beauty pageants and it's uh, a movie called Drop Dead Gorgeous. I just bought this on DVD. Have you seen it? No. Oh, it's awesome, dude. I just bought it for like two bucks. Yeah, now, you wouldn't expect it to be awesome. Well, because of the cast, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. To be frank, yeah. But, okay. So the reason I bought it is because I heard it's like this hidden black comedy gem. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, okay. it's, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, um, it's about a documentary crew. Like It's all like a mockumentary. It's a mockumentary about a beauty pageant in Minnesota. And but it's everything is just dialed right up. Um, so we've got Kirstie Alley um, as this like ex beauty queen trying to like hold on to her like fame. Denise Richards plays her son or her daughter, and she's like her the son. the bitchy like you know the the bitchy pretty girl. See those two there? I'm like I'm kind of hesitant. No man. You, okay. You, no, but you know what I mean. Like, if you saw those two, so names. so was I because I okay. was hesitant when yeah. I first watched this. Uh, Ellen Barkin is okay. another mom. She's all right, um, and she's the mom of Kirsten Dunst. Okay, again, how many times have we brought up Kirsten Dunst today? Um, 
anyway, she, Kirsten Dunst is like this. She works in like a funeral home, and but she's like the kind of the cool girl that like is not not like really a beauty pageant girl, but is but is part of the scene. Uh, Brittany Murphy shows up. This I believe was Amy Adams's first movie. Um, Allison Janney also shows oh, okay. up. Okay, I love Allison Janney. But the thing about this movie is, it's just so. It's it's just such a like it's a it's it's a totally dark take on beauty pageants that's pretty fucking funny, um, you know it's got a really you know John Waters once said that every great movie has to have a puke scene and this has a puke scene to end all puke scenes. You've got two puke scenes on your five, uh, dude. When you really <laughs> think about John Waters's quote, a lot of great movies have puke scenes. And I think about that every time I see a puke scene. I'm like, oh, this movie just <laughs> went up a notch. <laughs> car crushers and puke scenes. Car car crushers and puke scenes. And when you, there's a lot of puke scenes in movies. But the puke scene in this movie is like an epic There's puke a puke scene. scene in Problem Child too. Is there? Or Problem Child, one of the uh, others. Yeah, movies. when they're when they're on one of those like carnival rides that goes spinning in a circle. Oh. Uh, John Ritter. Sad. It'd be interesting <laughs> to see a list of how many people have puked on screen. I'm sure there is one on Letterboxd or somewhere like that. Yeah. Anyway, some ridiculous stuff happens in this. People are blown up. There's the puke scene. There's a epic dance, uh, like the talent portion, where um, Denise Richards does a very, very um, uncomfortable version of I can't take my eyes off of you dancing around with a Jesus statue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it's just, it's just kind of really that sounds awesome. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> and this is a, yeah, I think a lot of people as I'm, and I'm being slightly sexist here, but I think a lot of males yeah, cause just blew pageant. this movie right yeah. off thinking what the fuck? Cause it had like this pink cover and, mm. but it's, it isn't what it looks like, man. This is like a funny ass movie. Movie Maybe I'll convince the girlfriend to watch it with me because she's never seen it either. Oh yeah, it's it's got a lot of great stuff. Oh, in I'm it. gonna see if she'll watch it. It's with a me. lot of fun. Yeah, I'd oh, okay. recommend checking right. it out. I know where that DVD is too. Perfect. <laughs> we can watch it for the next episode. Maybe I'll see if I can talk her into it. Yeah. So that and and of course it's about people being killed off as well. So yeah. hence the title. So uh, I think you'd really dig it, All and right. I think a lot of people would. But I. I think it's definitely like flown under the radar since the nineties. So. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, Drop dead gorgeous. I'll have to try and watch that soon. <laughs> uh, so for my last choice, I was like, you know what? Being pretty safe so far. I got to bring the sleaze for my, uh, for my fifth and final sleaze. selection. The little bit of sleaze or at least the little bit of exploitation. You know, I got to do it. In 1999. So, you know what I picked? I picked terror firmer. Oh, I've never so, seen Terror Firm. So, uh, <laughs> trauma breaking down the fourth wall as much as humanly possible while maintaining their mission statement of outrageous comedy, gore, and abundance of nudity. Plus a return appearance of the penis monster from Tromeo and Juliet <laughs> and the car flipping scene from Tromeo and Juliet, of course. Um, so, Lloyd Kaufman directing, but he also stars as the blind director on an exploitation movie set. Think about it for a minute. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like a Robert Klaus deal because Robert Klaus was apparently partially blind also, but that's another story. Um, so he's a blind director on this exploitation set, and then the set soon falls victim to a serial killer who has issues, mother issues, masturbation issues, you name it, he's got issues, and he's decided to go around killing cast and crew 
while the director blindly stumbles around going, what's happening on my set kind of deal. Um, you know, lots of references to past trauma films, appearances by trauma regulars like Debbie Roshan, Trent Haga, Ron Jeremy, Lemmy, and, you know, other people that are have shown up like uh, the lead from... Tromeo and Juliet. I can't remember his name right now. Will, I'm sorry. Will something. Yeah. Will something. Yeah. Will Keenan. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and James Gunn co-wrote the script. Right. Which is based loosely on the book he wrote with Lloyd Kaufman called All I Need to Know About Filmmaking. I learned from the Toxic Avenger, which I highly recommend you read because it's a great book. Um, and really, this is the last of their movies I, I really, like, cared about, to be honest with you. Mm. Like, at this point, I was like... It's trauma doing what trauma does, but in this time they're they're being a little bit too indulgent at times because the unrated director's cut of this movie is like an hour fifty four minutes long, so I'm like they're being a little bit too indulgent for my liking, but it's still worth seeing because this is the movie that kind of set the template for all the trauma movies that were produced in house that would follow this, like the return to Newcomb high series and stuff like that. It all, and like poultry geist and stuff like that. This is the movie that's responsible for citizen toxie being the way it is and, you know, and everything. And, and it's just a fun, ridiculous trauma movie. And, uh, you know, I used to love trauma growing up and, I've had a kind of love-hate relationship, admittedly, with Troma since. But Terror Firmer is really the last movie. Maybe Citizen Toxie. I like that quite a bit, too. But it's really the last movie where I actively sought out seeing a Troma movie. Right. Because I had seen, you know, that it was coming out and everything. And I actually went out of my way to go to, like, the A&B Sound and <laughs> get it imported and pay the ridiculous $35 for the DVD or yeah. something like that. That's the last time I did that with a trauma movie. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun and, and totally worth seeing if you haven't, because, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of trauma fans out there that, and even ones that listen to us. So, uh, for sure, check her out. Nice. Terror firmer. Right on. All right. That's our five. Do you have any other ones you want to quickly add on? Yeah, the one I was kind of struggling with with Magnolia there. I was my, my other choice was Election. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up actually. Yeah. That's yeah. another black comedy. Yeah, pretty fun. Directed by Alexander Payne, starring Matthew Broderick and uh, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, yeah, and based on a book by uh, Tom Parada, which is actually a really fun book too. Nice. Just remember to pick flick. That's her. <laughs> that's her slogan in the in the movie. Yeah, so uh, with, she's and she's like this crazy. Uh, She's just like one of those popular girl that's yeah. trying to like become the class the president. Class president, and she's at odds with Matthew Broderick, and there's this who's a teacher, and there's yep. like this weird sexual tension going on, and yeah, there might be some form of bodily harm involved in the yeah. movie as well, and yeah. things like that. Um, yeah, I don't really have any other ones to add. I all I had written down was like Blair Witch, Office Space, and The Matrix, but uh, I think it's a pretty solid ten movies that we have come up with. Yeah, I got a couple more to throw in. Yeah. Um, David Cronenberg's Existence. Yeah, never one seen of, it. One of my favorites of David yeah. Cronenberg that uh, isn't referenced a lot. It's about uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Never bad. Yeah, is playing. Uh, she's like this video game creator, and she's created this game where uh, you basically plug the game into your body and typical Cronenberg, right? It's like, like Videodrome to the next level. Yeah, but I, I've, always, I've always loved Existence. Yeah, Is it really Leota in that too? Or is it Jude Law? Uh, Jude Law. Jude Law, okay. 
Yeah. Don McKellar makes an appearance. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a good one. Um, Go was on my um, yeah, underrated can, 90s. I've considered that one too. Yeah, which I talked about quite a bit then. Yep. So if you want to hear more about Go, you can go there. Ha ha. Uh, being John Malkovich. I'm surprised yep. you didn't bring that one up. I was, I was waffling on it and then I decided to just let it lie. Yeah, I mean that Charlie it's been a while Kaufman since I've seen it. wrote it, and yep. Spike Jones directed, yep. I believe. Um, there was another movie later with that I liked a lot more from Charlie Kaufman called uh, Adaptation. Yeah, um, but this was still a pretty fun movie, but just not one I've really wanted to go Malkovich, back to. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Yeah, yeah. And um, um, Eyes Wide Shut was came out this year. Not a fan, really. Yeah, I, I did kind of like it, but um, again, haven't really had an urge to revisit. But I well, did like same it year when Kubrick I watched passed it. away, actually. Yeah, yeah. And the last one is one called Dick. Yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, with um, like Kirsten Dunst yeah. again. <laughs> and, and Michelle Williams. And Michelle Williams. Yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, and it's like the Watergate scandal, but it, like how these two like hippie girls kind of get in the middle of it all. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot about that one until you brought it up. That movie's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a fun flick. Yeah, um, yeah like, I okay. think that's pretty much it for me. Too. So I uh, want to recap, and then we will do our spiel. Okay. So my five were Bowfinger, Stir of Echoes, Three Kings, Straight Story, and Terror Firmer. And mine were Run, Lola, Run, The Virgin Suicides, Detroit Rock City, Magnolia, and Drop Dead Gorgeous. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Um, So let us know if you like the idea of us doing a yearly episode like this with a 20-year flashback. Tell us what 1999 movies you dug or whatever. You can do that on our Facebook discussion group. Uh, if you start talking, we'll start answering. And uh, you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for GBW Podcast. As always, I always ask for this. Rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And, of course, tell a friend if you like the show. And uh, until next time, let's party like it's 1999. That's right. And we uh, always appreciate feedback. So uh, thank you, Jay. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, everyone who writes in. Yes. Good Good night. night.